record whenever you are ready. Good evening, fellow trustees, um, staff, and our guests. Um, welcome to the February Board of Trustees meeting. Um, I would um, request a clerk to please call roll. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Duquette. Here. Trustee Chapman. I don't believe is in the room. And uh, Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Yay. Uh, Trustee Oblogacion. Here. And Trustee Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. And before we get started, we just wanted to uh, spend, uh, acknowledge the passing of Supervisor Y.A. It's a big, uh, you know, his loss is massive to our county and his service. We are profoundly grateful for his service. And in his honor, if there's any trustee who wants to say a few words, please do. But we'll, let's maintain a minute, uh, a few seconds of silence, please. Thank you. Um, sending comfort and prayers to his family and hope that his family has the support of friends and family during this very difficult time. Um, invite any trustees, uh, James, uh, Mr. Jackson, if you want to share a few words. Thank you very much, Chair Banerjee. I, I would simply say that um, my experiences with Supervisor Valle go back about 10 years, and he was always a champion. He was a champion of the people. He was a champion of the county and a, a fierce champion. And so um, a great deal of respect and appreciation for him and for his service and condolences to his family. Um, we are poorer for his loss. Thank you, James. An enormous loss for the county and his decades of service will be he leaves a legacy he leaves a very strong legacy and having um, made this county stronger um, for our people for our workforce um, and we will work to continue his legacy all right thank you uh, for uh, public comments, we do have, for the non-agenda item public comments, we, um, we have uh, four people. And if, there, if you wish to address the Board of Trustees, uh, you can send an email to um, COB at Alameda Health System, e either to the start of the meeting or if it is during, uh, you can also send it in, um, during the meeting if it's for a specific agenda item. So I'm going to call uh, Nicole Narwider. Nicole, are you so, here? Nicole is on her way home. She should hopefully be home within the next few minutes. So if we could take the other speakers uh, that were listed uh, and hopefully by the time uh, the last uh, speaker is done, Nicole will be home uh, from her workplace. Uh, sure. So, Patricia Vasi, you have three minutes. Okay. Welcome. 
Hello. My name is Patricia Obazi. I am a staff of Alameda Health System. I work at Alameda Hospital for five years. Just staffing at Alameda Hospital in my job classification is affecting the quality of patient care on the nursing floor. Over time and burnout is our companion. Work with 24 patients by ourselves. How do we give quality care to these patients? We want to do better by providing the best care to our patients. That's why we are determined to win our, a contract at the end of the, our negotiation, to, which provides strong staff language and competitive wages and benefits. This will allow Alameda Hospital to recruit good care, healthcare workers and fill in positions which become open with quality healthcare workers as promptly as possible. And Alameda Hospital will be a place where all and everyone will want to come in because they get quality care. But the way short staffing is, born out and long time work is our companion. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Obazi. And uh, for our uh, staff who are uh, presenting public comments, just know that we can respond to you in time, but you are, um, uh, your input and insights are really important and we will be uh, you know, taking note of each of them. Um, Lilibet Santiago, please. Hi, my name is Lilibet um, Santiago Jones. I work at Alameda Hospital for almost 19 years. When I rate or combative patients are admitted, the proper protocol by upper management um, was not being followed. Like there was, um, there's an incident like uh, last week when we have patients that are combative and and like uh, accusing the caregiver that they're hurting, you know, hurting them. So management doesn't really make a thorough investigation about it. So it's just the worker, the CNA, the licensor, the one who's. Uh, you know, emotionally suffering from it because they, they they don't listen to us. They just, you know, listen to the patient. So failing to follow policies which protect caregiver and patients make it more likely that people, you know, will needlessly suffer injuries and illnesses, which hurts both patients and workers. We are determined, uh, we, we are determined to settle a new contract which ensures stronger and more consistent enforcement of safety protocols. Thank you. Thank you. Doug Jones. Um, afternoon, uh, trustees. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to speak to you. I'm uh, Doug Jones, a 25-year employee at uh, Eden Medical Center for almost that entire time. Uh, we were one of the trauma hospitals for Alameda County, as you know. Uh, now I'm a political organizer for SEIU United Healthcare Workers. Uh, and uh, I'm sharing uh, information that I'm hearing from uh, these members and other members who are on uh, the contract bargaining team, uh, trying to negotiate a new contract uh, for Alameda hospital workers represented by ICIU HW. That's a little bit over 200 workers. Uh, Their the, uh, last uh, contract had an expiration date of December 31st. So we're attempting to negotiate a new contract now. Unfortunately, the current wage increase proposed by management at the, at the contract bargaining table does not properly recognize and reward uh, the healthcare heroes 
who put their lives, family, and health at risk while helping the Alameda community survive the COVID pandemic over the last three years. Uh, these workers settled their most recent contract before the inflation crisis began, which has been made worse by the particularly sharp uh, rise in the cost of living in Alameda County. Um, SEIU members and the hospital act in solidarity with each other. Uh, they conducted a sympathy strike uh, with Alameda Hospital's registered nurses represented by CNA just a few years ago. Uh, that are working uh, to try to solve uh, this uh, contract negotiations. Uh, uh, were among, many of them were amongst the workers who struck at that time. Uh, we, they don't want to strike again. And this is why we're uh, asking you to ensure that management's representatives at the Alameda Hospital bargaining table are authorized by you, the AHS trustees, to offer compensation, which is higher than the current offer, which is being put across to SEIU HW members. Because the management representative, as I understand it, is telling uh, the workers on the bargaining team that she's not authorized to give an increased compensation uh, because the trustees have not authorized her uh, to make that expenditure. Thank you. Thank you. Is Nicole, uh, Ms. Navarro, am, All right. Yes, I'm available. Thank you guys for being patient with me. Um, I wanted to speak with the board today and thank you all for your time. Um, give me just a moment. I, I kind of prepared something for me. Um, so just uh, to let you all know who I am, my name is Nicole Giovondo. I am a cardiac monitor tech at Alameda Hospital. I've been with the hospital for six years. Um, one of my biggest concerns as an employee of Alameda is been the issue of our uh, wages. Um, I am a member of the bargaining team as well, and unfortunately had to receive the 3% proposal um, at our last meeting. Um, I did want to give you guys an idea of what it's like to be a parent uh, raising a child as a healthcare worker right now, considering everything that we just went through. Um, we settled our contract three months before the pandemic hit that locked us in for the entire three-year duration of COVID um, with a 3%, 3%, 3%. So that was before we had endured this crisis and saved your health system from crumbling during this time. Um, the concerns that we have as healthcare workers and the fact that as the entity, you have lost several um, hundreds of employees over time due to burnout and emotional instability because of everything we've been through. Um, but I don't make enough money to afford a two bedroom apartment for my teenager and I. And so as a parent, I share a room with my teenager because I don't make a living wage to work in the county that I work in. And living and working within a driving distance is, is important and necessary to operate your healthcare system and take care of your patients that right now are flooding the hospitals. Um, I've been working endlessly hours, picking up extra shifts to make sure that your staffing is accommodated so that your nurses can be in patient care, not sitting at a monitor or being a CNA or doing other things. Um, so I just want to ask the board to please reconsider the proposals um, 
of the 3% and understand that that is to include everything that we've been through on top of being able to take care of ourselves and our families at this point. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Any more? Uh, nope, nobody's reached out to Thank you for your comments again. Thank you for your comments again. Your feedback is important. Um, moving on to the next item on our agenda is the executive officer's report. And normally uh, for this section of the agenda, we uh, pre-read uh, an article and discuss. And for this time, instead of that, I wanted time to acknowledge this board of trustees who came into their position during COVID as well. Uh, the, the nature of the governance transition for HS during that time and the gathering restrictions have prevented the many ways in which we get to know each other and work with each other and uh, with the uh, executive leadership team and staff. Um, to the broader staff team, trustees can come across as distant, detached figures. And so this role is a labor of love. Trustees come across, have, you know, full jobs elsewhere, working uh, extremely long hours and intense obligations. And we bring deep commitment to our roles of foresight, insight, and oversight. And although you might have read your, our bios, this is an opportunity to share a little bit about how each one of us might want HS to know us and why we are here. So I'm inviting each one of us to take about two minutes and introduce ourselves. So if you could, um, and some of it, I, I full disclosure, part, some of us are in um, a group of executive leaders and uh, are part of a collaborative too with the Institute of Healthcare Improvement. And some of um, the demographic data is also something that is part of our uh, process of looking at, uh, you know, how, what kind of representation we have on our board. So if you could share your name, um, you know, preferred pronoun, gender identity, race, ethnicity, and where you were born or your earliest experience of what you call home, your place, your community, and any other identity you want to share, a sentence or two on your lived and learned ex experience, and what is your why for serving on this board, and one thing that you'd like to you're excited about and wanting to see happen in 2023 towards the achievement of our strategic goals. So um, who wants to go? I would invite my esteemed colleague, Vice President, Jen, uh, Rusty Esteemed to go. Thank you so much, Chair uh, Banerjee. Um, so I'm Jennifer Esteen. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a registered nurse for the city and county of San Francisco in my day working life and in my evening life I'm here to, to serve the people of Alameda County where I've lived for the last 20 years and I'm serving on the board because as a nurse it's my honor duty and privilege to care for every patient I come in contact with but serving for the health system means that I can have a greater impact instead of coming to work and serving one person at a time I can come to work and serve the entire health system um, in whatever ways we are needed by the system. Uh, so it's a privilege to serve and an honor. Um, I'm excited in 2023 to support the health system's uh, investment in equity and rededication to the community so that we can have equitable outcomes and practices. 
Thank you, Trusty Esteem. Um, for our, our trusty bucket who, uh, yes, go ahead. Um, my name's Tap Bouquet, uh, he is him. Um, I'm Asian. Uh, I actually am a born and raised Texan, um, uh, for good or for bad. <laughs> um, my lived um, and learned experience, I am, this is my 15th year as a physician in the system. I'm also a patient in the system, so that, that, that helps scale and scope all the things I think about as I work here. My why for serving on the board is um, impact at scale. Um, I, I care deeply about this place and the safety net institution, safety net mission overall, and uh, I want to do it here. So that's why I care about that. One or two things that I'm excited about and wanting to happen in 2023 uh, pretty much follow the, the, the domains of our strategic plan. I want to see us to continue in another year of financial solvency I, uh, uh, from, from, from a financial point, from, a, from an HR point. I want us to become a place, uh, one of the best places to work in the, in, in, in the Bay Area. Uh, third, I care deeply about quality, all the domains of quality, which coalesce around this, the steep domains. And uh, watching us advance on that mission to become a place which offers safety, timeliness, effectiveness, efficiency, equity, and patient-centeredness is uh, something uh, uh, I'm a little bit obsessed about. So that's my, my gig. <clears throat> Thank you, um, Trustee Bucket. I will invite um, uh, Trustee Fox. Good evening, my name is Alan Fox. Um, my pronouns are his and him. Um, I was raised in upstate New York, but I've been in the Bay Area for 52 years. And I am a retired healthcare administrator slash financial executive. Um, my role for the last 25 years of my career was as a chief financial officer. Um, one of the reasons why I'm here is I really like urban areas and all my healthcare experience is either in Berkeley, Oakland, or San Francisco. Uh, not the easiest places to operate hospitals because as we know, the money tends to flow uh, where the commercial patients are. And and that's where hospitals are paid, hospital systems and health systems are paid the most money. Uh, I've been a 30 plus year resident of Oakland. I probably live closer to where we sit than anybody else in this room. And my reason for being on the board is that I want to see our healthcare system provide care to our patients, care and access equivalent to what any patient who goes to Kaiser or the Sutter Hospitals, or Washington Township, or Valley Care, yet. They should be able to get appointments as quickly as anybody in the county. They should be able to have uh, the benefit of the most up-to-date equipment, the same as all the other uh, patients in the county that might have private insurance, and they should have the same kind of outcomes. And that, to me, is really what health equity is all about. And I'm hoping that I can help direct our our resources and our efforts to making that happen. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Trustee Friedman. Thank you. Um, Mark Friedman, my day job is at the Eden Health District, which is in the central part of Alameda County. Uh, 
my lived and learned experience is we need to uh, help everyone we can in every way we can as often as we can. That's the reason why I decided to join the AHS board because of the tremendous benefit to the community and to those who are most in need of the healthcare services that are provided in such a quality way. I'm excited to be here to learn and contribute where I can. And I'm looking for continued development of our stability as an institution financially and our future and of finding every way that we can to reach corners of the community we may not be reaching as effectively as we could and to uh, make sure those communities that have been neglected throughout history are not neglected by us, not ever neglected by us. Thank you, uh, Trustee Friedman. Um, you want to tell us where you were born? Uh, Chicago, Illinois. All right, thank you. Um, Trustee Splendorio. Oh, Splendorio. Thank you, King Kenny. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, my name is Splen Splendorio, uh, and I am an attorney mostly. Uh, I, I practice in uh, commercial real estate and finance. Um, financing developments that you either live in or that you may visit. Um, let's see. Um, this is why I care. My, uh, my wife is a native Alamedian. That means she was born and raised in Alameda County. She was born in Alameda Hospital. All four of my kids were born in Alameda Hos Hospital, um, which caused me <clears throat> after every birth when my wife and the baby left, I had to go uh, um, go to Fenton's to buy her a crab sandwich and a black and tan. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see why. Why? <clears throat> um, I want I want Alameda Health System to provide uh, the health services that our community requires and demands. As in, and is entitled to, um, to, so that this is the best place to live in the world. Thank you, Trustee Spendoria. Uh, Trustee Chapman. Can you all hear me? Yes. Oh, good evening. I'm sorry for being late. I still had 5.30 on my brain instead of five o'clock. And I saw the, saw the invite, but um, just had 5.30 on my brain. So my apologies. So um, my lived and learned experience is uh, for 30 some odd years, I was almost 30 years, I was a labor negotiator. And we negotiated uh, contracts for many of our county hospitals and our healthcare systems. Um, I lost my dad and both my sisters in a very short period of time to cancer three years, um, one, one year after the other for three years. And from that point forward, I decided to make my misery my ministry and to help and get involved in healthcare and get involved in helping people and navigating through the system. Um, I found it very difficult to navigate through the system. And um, once I figured out how to do it, I felt like it was my mission to help everyone else. 
So um, why? And now I am a, a, I'm, I'm a director for healthcare services agency for Alameda County. And why I uh, joined Alameda Health Systems is, like I say, I have a passion for healthcare, and I really like to see change. I really wanted to be a change agent in the county that I grew up and live in and love so much. So I'm, I'm here to help. Um, just want uh, Alameda Health Systems to be not only an employer of choice, but to be a trailblazer in the healthcare system for all counties and to be an example for all counties. And I believe we are that now because I know we get calls from other hospitals on how we're doing things and we're a trauma center. And so I'm just very proud to be part of that. Thank you, Trustee Chapman. Uh, any one thing that you specifically want to see us focus on in the boardroom or as in, in, in fulfilling our strategic plan, anything that's top of mind for you? If you need some help. Um, I think a continued employee engagement and patient care, quality yeah. patient care. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Trustee Obligacion, please. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Nelly Obligacion, pronouns uh, she, her, hers, and um, um, I've been the um, interim uh, deputy director for SEIU um, Local 1021, negotiated contracts. I live in the Bay Area for 44 years. Uh, my live and learn experience is when my dad got sick, right? Uh, it's very expensive in the healthcare, and that's something that you know, I mean, for me, it matters about the community because it is the right of the community to have health care. And that is something that I have experienced with my, my dad when we brought my dad back. I mean, he'd been in the United States since 1946. But we have to bring back my dad from Manila. And that is something that when we have to bring him back, Although he's a U.S. citizen with no health care, it, it was very expensive for us to deal with that. Every savings that we, he worked hard in the United States, I mean, we spent on that. And I don't want people in the community to experience that, right? So I want to be able to make a difference. And what, that's why I, you know, when I was um, asked to, to be part and I, you know, with, with the assembly by it, and I did say yes, because I'd like to be involved in the community. I have also made sure that even, um, you know, uh, being able to volunteer, you know, coaching um, our, 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 our youngsters. And in terms of my, um, um, what are the focus on the 2023, I would say that, uh, first I want to thank Rona for sending me the, the, the strategic plan. You know, uh, she sent it right away. And I would say that those, all of the pillars are very important. And, you know, we have to find a way that everything is a priority, but how, how we as a board of trustees, making sure that all those matters and those are things that we have to make sure that, okay, maybe this is the, 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 the pillar that we have to talk about or discuss. So for me, everything is important. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Obi-Trustee. And um, I think we got everybody. Um, right? So um, I, I'll, I'll, you know, my, you all um, 
So the memo that went out, I'll, I'll say that, uh, you know, briefly, um, Kinkini Banerjee used the pronoun she, her, Asian American, South Asian American, um, am an immigrant. So this is the generation that took that leap of faith and came here um, for, uh, to be working in um, population health and community health. I was a clinician, a, a nutritionist, or registered dietitian, specializing in pediatrician, pediatrics when I uh, left India and then came here. I um, just being part of AHS has been one of the highlights of my life. This is the place with the most dedicated staff. This is here that it's hard to, it's a hard place to work and a fulfilling place to work in so many ways as well because the, of the every day, the change that makes. Uh, my why of being on this board was I joined the board just around the time that um, the Affordable Care Act was uh, being developed and was part of uh, the group that had put in some of the preventions uh, uh, provisions into that. And so to be able to see how we can transform healthcare from very hospital-centric to do both uh, the prevention part of it as well as the treatment part of it and really see that bringing our um, vision um, to fruition. So one thing that I'm really wanting to see happen is that if we approved our strategic plan and last year and we had a lot of assumptions and some of the things we want to do and TBD and the community aspect of it, or, you know, so often we see our communities only as riddled with problems but the kind of resilience, brilliance, innovations that exist in hard places. And that kind of partnership is what I'm hoping we see, um, we hear and discuss and explore more of in this year. So thank you all. Um, this is one, you know, uh, one way of introduction and I wish I would have the opportunity to have you all introduce yourselves too, but that will be part of our retreat for sure. Um, moving on, uh, our CEO report is next, item B, uh, and that would be Mr. Jackson. Welcome. Thank you very much, um, Chair Banerjee. Um, I have begun sharing my screen. Are you able to see it? Yes. yes. Excellent. I want to start again just um, with condolences and gratitude for Supervisor Valle. Um, there will be more to come, I'm sure, about his legacy, but just he has meant a lot to this county. I also want to commend you, Chair Banerjee, because I think that this was a great exercise to um, have the, the trustees share a little bit about themselves, but talk about their why. So many um, nuggets that I will look forward to exploring when I speak to each of you, but um, Splend, um, that about the ice cream, that was just fantastic. And um, what a very personal thing. But um, all of you, uh, Trustee Obligacion and the story about your father and you, Trustee Chapman, um, your comments about your why, all of that just really means a lot. And it helps me understand why you folks give so much as you do. I will dive into my report. Um, starting as I have uh, begun a new tradition with just sharing some of the thanks that we have received. And so this is a card that I shared earlier today during this the desktop chat from an organization called the Solution Industries. And um, you can see that they um, just basically wanted to express their gratitude for our healthcare heroes. And um, as, you, as you will note, 
they are based in Strongville, Ohio. And so they reached out to us here in the Bay Area to just let it be known how much they see us and they appreciate what um, the staff of the Alameda Health System are doing. And so I'm just grateful to be able to share how people feel about the services that we're providing. Moving into my updates, um, starting with <clears throat> the sustainability pillar, um, I want to just share quickly a little bit about um, the work of uh, the the BEST initiative, Building Excellent Sustainability and Trust. And so I have shared this board previously, and this is an update. Um, very quickly, you can see the five areas that the BEST initiative was focusing on, and you can see what the um, anticipated benefits were um, from the low end to the high end. And then you can see what is expected to be realized on an annualized basis and what we've received um, realized thus far that has been confirmed by the executive sponsor. So um, just very quickly, you can see that we were anticipating the high end to be just about $55 million. And we already have confirmed um, 56, just over 56 million. And so the best initiative continues to um, be fruitful and to pay dividends, which obviously allow us to continue our mission. This is a trending um, line. And you can see that through the, um, the period that we have validated, which is October of 22, we were at just over almost $51 million. And so um, the trend line continues up and we are um, cautiously optimistic that we will continue to reap the benefits of the best initiative. Moving to staff and physician experience, a few projects um, that I think the trustees and our, our audience would be interested in. At Alameda Hospital, the physician lounge has been refreshed and updated. And so that's something that you know we just felt was very important for our physicians at Alameda Hospital. Um, turning to San Leandro Hospital, we have kicked off the construction of the new CT scanner. And so that's something that our physicians have come to this board and talked about um, in previous meetings, the need to get this project going. And so we're very excited that we had to kick off on the on the 6th, so just two days ago, and we do anticipate completing in the fall of 2023. And um, I was at San Leandro yesterday and saw the, the new freshening up that's taking place. And so they put in Nora flooring where we had carpeting in the lobby areas previously. So there's a cleaner um, flooring surface and one that's more infection resistant. Um, also, they are painting the, the corridors and refreshing many of the rooms. And so um, giving that hospital a needed facelift. So very excited to see that, that taking place. Um, at the Wilmachand Highland Hospital campus, we recently opened a physician lounge for the first time. And so um, both San Leandro and Alameda have had physician lounges for quite some time. That has not been the case at the Wilmachand Highland Hospital campus. And so we were very pleased to be able to um, fulfill this um, bucket list item, if you will, for our physicians. And so a few pictures of the physician's lounge. And most importantly, um, here we were on the grand opening day. I'm very excited to have the physicians come by and to see their new space. It's right off of the courtyard. And so I think this is going to be a real uh, boon uh, to our hardworking physicians at the Wilmachan Highland Hospital campus. Turning to the community connection, um, I don't need to tell you, it's Black History Month. This is a flyer that was developed by the um, um, Black Employee Affinity Network, also known as BEAN. And so um, I just wanted to share this with you. These are located throughout the campus. And so um, a lot of things are happening during Black History Month, but 
really proud of the of the Black Affinity Group and what they've done to make sure that we are um, paying tribute during this month. And now I'd like to show a video and Rana, I, I hope you got my back. If it doesn't work, Rana's gonna help me out. But this is a video. That <laughs> okay, I'll stall. But this is something that the PACE team put together um, to acknowledge um, Black History Month. And so let's see if it works. It's important for an organization like the Alameda Health System because Black history is American history. I'm informed by the reconciliation work that has taken place in South Africa and in Germany and in other parts of the world where there has been the courage to confront the atrocities mm -hmm. of the past. And you don't see the video, James. Work, creating oh, my goodness. To a better tomorrow. Only hear the audio. I am Please sorry. Thank you for... Okay, let me um, escape out. Um, Rana, are you able to help? I don't know why. It's it's showing on my screen, and so I do not know why it's not showing for you. Rana, perhaps yeah. I stop, stop sharing? My um, Zoom just quit, though, so. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Give me oh. just a second, sorry. Okay. Okay, um, I regret that that is not working. Are you able to see my screen now? Yes. Okay. Do, do you, I mean, can you minimize and then see if it's, uh, uh, yeah, try one more time, please. Yeah. Start all over again. Activate the audio and the video. It is now playing. Are you able to see my screen? Acknowledging Black History Month. Just the slide. Just the slide. That's unfortunate. Okay. Because Black um, History. Well, um, I'm going to. I'm gonna ask Rana to take a crack at it. And if we can't show the video now, um, of course we'll push it to you, but I did want the trustees to just see the video that I think the PACE team did a very nice job. The The only unfortunate part is that they focused on me a little bit, but there's a lot of great information in there. We'll get that to you trustees and I'm sorry for the technical difficulties. I, I will move on and we'll come back to that if possible. Um, I wanted to James, share- I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, James, do you yeah. mind? Do you mind sending me that link? I'm looking for your PowerPoint. I can't find it, and I'll and I'll try to uh, uh, put it on. Okay, I'll send it to you right now, Amada. I have it conveniently close. Cool. Thank you very much, Rana. Um, trustees, I will continue, and if we can make that work, we will. I, I wanted to talk about this event, which was just uh, last week. Our foundation team put together an opportunity for us to speak at the Glenview Neighbors Association. And it went really well. It was a relatively small group. They had perhaps 10 people there, but they have a profound interest in the Alameda Health System, in the Wilmachan Highland Hospital campus because of the adjacency. They're very close to us. And then they also wanted to know about giving opportunities. And so they afforded us the opportunity to come and speak with them. And it was really a great session. I was accompanied by, as you can see, a few members of our staff. We had um, Joseph Peters and Jeliah James, who are the leaders of our health path program. I'm just so proud of these young people. They went and did a fantastic job talking about how we're building the healthcare workforce of the future um, and how the folks from the Glenview Neighbors Association can support that. We also had um, Miss uh, Stephanie Beltran is her name and uh, Belton. And she is the Wilma Chan Highland Hospital Trauma Program Manager. And she addressed 
youth violence prevention and interruption, as well as interventions. And so having Stephanie, who is a, a she's a nurse, she's worked in our ED for a number of years, recently assumed the role of the trauma program coordinator and did a wonderful job just really talking about that program and how the neighbors can um, help us with that work. And then finally, Michaela Hayes, who is um, one of our VPs at the um, foundation. She's the VP of Partnership and Engagement. Um, she was the moderator, if you will. And so she helped facilitate putting this event together. And then she talked about ways that um, the Glenview neighbors can support the organization financially. Um, we also had Mary Redsinger, who was a member of the foundation board and then she lives in the Glenview area. And so she was present as well. So it was a great opportunity for us to get out and to just make a, the this group aware of the myriad of services that are available. We are far more than just a trauma center, although that's a huge part of our identity. And I was really grateful for the opportunity to share um, some of the other aspects of the Alameda Health System. Moving James, to- uh, if I, uh, would you like for me to try now? Yes, please. I'll stop sharing and if you would be so kind. Thank you. Come on for the win. Oh, man. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> I was in Black History Month. It's important for an organization like the Alameda Health System because Black history is American history. I'm informed by the reconciliation work that has taken place in South Africa and in Germany and in other parts of the world where there has been the courage to confront the atrocities of the past and to engage in restorative work, creating a path to a better tomorrow. When I reflect on Black History Month, what comes to mind for me is the strength and the courage of those who have gone before me. And it reminds me that I'm fortunate to have the opportunities that I enjoy and that I have an obligation to help those less fortunate than me. Black History Month is important to me because it's an acknowledgement of the efforts of those whose shoulders I stand upon and a reminder of the work to come. In a perfect world, Black History Month would not be needed but we've yet to reach that perfect world. I'm excited to announce the Black Employees Affinity Network, also known as BEAN, and they have several activities planned for Black History Month. I encourage all of you to check the AHS internet to find out more and to view the schedule. I believe that affinity groups play a vital role in ensuring an inclusive environment where all are valued, included, and empowered to succeed. They can provide a collective voice for staff with commonality, and they create a space for deeper authenticity and honesty. Affinity groups facilitate safe spaces to build resilience, help members prepare to engage deeply with other groups, and empower each other to take action. I've never had the opportunity to work in an organization that had affinity groups like the ones that we have here at AHS, and I believe it's so exciting and so important, and I'm looking forward to seeing the fruits of all of our labor. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ahmad, for uh, sharing that. And if you will stop sharing, I will I will resume. So uh, let's see. Okay. All right. So um, moving into our quality care, um, this is a. Uh, 
Just a quick summary. We had the Joint Commission show up uh, last week at Alameda Hospital. It was a four-cause survey. And so this it was based on information that they had received. And so they came and there was one surveyor. And you can see the steps that the surveyor took, um, including interviewing staff and reviewing staffing sheets, um, looking at um, event logs and the like. And the surveyor stated that she did not find any risk point or findings that would result in a recommendation for improvement, also known as an RFI. There were some areas of opportunity that were noted, um, including potential issues with the respiratory therapy documentation, and then issues regarding um, high glucose. Um, and so again, this individual as a preliminary um, report did not think it rose to the level of an RFI. Obviously we have to wait until the home office of the Joint Commission makes their final determination, but we were um, heartened and appreciative of the findings, the preliminary findings that we received. And so we will wait to receive the final report from the, uh, the home office. I did wanna take a moment to just uh, share some information regarding uh, CalAIM and some of the work that's happening in post-acute care. The transition is underway and um, approximately 50 of our residents have already converted. So kudos to Richard Espinoza and his team. Um, he is our CAO, um, or excuse me, our population health CAO is um, Tangerine Brigham. And um, she's working with a long-term care billing specialist and they will continue to work closely with the Department of Healthcare Services and our managed Medi-Cal providers to facilitate this transition. This is information that I have been sharing on a regular basis and it's become somewhat static. Um, and so we've not had much change in the percentages of employees who are vaccinated um, and unvaccinated, primarily because those unvaccinated employees have provided um, waivers, if you will. Um, they were either medically or for religious reasons exempted from having to be vaccinated. And of course, of the um, vaccinated staff, 98% of our staff have received their boosters. Um, some new information that I've not shared previously, but I thought it would be um, useful this evening is a little bit of information about um, infection rates. And so you can see here that for the um, most recent period, um, we saw an 86% increase in positives. And we, um, based on our information, the majority of the exposures are from the community and from household exposures. And so, Obviously, the, the message there is that it's not as if they're being exposed at work, but they're being exposed outside of work and then um, being identified as being positive. About um, a third of our staff have now had COVID at some point in time. And so to be clear, that doesn't mean that they have COVID now, but over the two plus years of the epidemic, um, about a third of our staff have reported a positive case. Um, and you can see that Fully vaccinated staff with the booster are not immune, but they have um, less acute uh, manifestations of COVID when they are positive. Um, one unvaccinated staff with an approved religious exemption, which I noted a moment ago, and then one contractor and their vaccination status was unknown. And so you can see the breakdown of where um, the cases are and how many new cases there were as of the 3rd of February. And that is the extent of my report, and I'm happy to take any questions or comments. Thank you, uh, Mr. Jackson. And just again, a testament listening to why our, you know, the wives of our trustees and why we are here. But this also shows us from the from the many ways that HS is a partner to the community, 
and our partner to our patients. Um, in, so thank you for that. Any questions for Mr. Jackson? I have one. Uh, your Restoration Oversight Committee now has kind of, uh, is that uh, the cadence of the meeting is once a, once in two weeks or once a month now? Is it, or? It's once every two weeks now, yes. And uh, you, you see this continuing in the near future why, why, as we see these increases happening. Yes, um, yes, we do. I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that question, Chair Banerjee. Thank you very much. We made the decision recently to move to the every other week cadence because that is consistent with the frequency that the county is meeting on this topic. And so we... Um, are staggering our meetings, we're gonna be on the off week. And so we'll have the benefit of their meeting that we can process when we meet every other week. Um, we also are going to be looking at a few indicators that might indicate, might suggest that we need to meet more frequently, might need to go back to regular weekly meetings. Um, one factor being the prevalence of COVID in our, in our county. The other factor being the prevalence of COVID in our organization. And then thirdly, um, if the county were to go back to weekly meetings, we think that would be a strong indicator that we might need to consider doing the same. And so we'll be watching all three of those factors, but we are moving to an every other week cadence and the update memo will also move to that every other week cadence. Okay. And do you know, I mean, I know that the door knocking that happened in the initial stages to get people to get the vaccination and as the emergency goes off and people will have to pay a hundred dollars or I don't know how much to get that. Is there a push now to get some of the like the latest booster within our community? Are there any outreach? Do you know of those plans that might be happening to see we catch folks before it becomes, um, I mean, uh, I guess our services will continue, but patients will, our patients will have to pay at the other end, right? Like some kind of copay or others. Yeah, I do believe that's the case. Um, it's a great question and one that we haven't specifically pursued in the ROC, but more than happy to do so. Um, our vaccination clinic, which you know has been in the HCP grand room for you know the majority of the, um, the epidemic has recently shut down and it's gonna be moving to the K7 clinic. Again, an indication that the number of vaccinations that we were providing didn't warrant needing to take that entire space. And so um, I, I appreciate your question. I don't have all of the answers, but if you would not mind, I will pursue that with the ROC and come back with more information about the vaccination process on a going forward basis. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jackson. I just don't want our, pay, our patients to be getting a sticker shock if they have to come in and do this in April or May. Um, Agreed. All right. On that front, we have our consent agenda, which is uh, section E. And um, uh, we have the approval E, e through E through. E8, E1 through E8. And um, I was wondering, uh, Council, if we can uh, pull, not pull, but just hold uh, the E7 for a little bit of discussion. Just, uh, oh, we have the, I moved to E. Thank you. Um, 
Thank you for that chair, ex-chair, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we have our item C. I skipped over C and D completely and went over to um, E. Item C, we have about 20 minutes for it, is our staff reports. And this time, we are trying to see if we can also have not just our medical staff, who chief of medical staff who are wonderful, and we absolutely want to have a space where we hear from them. We also invite our administrative and nursing leaders to join in as questions arise. I know that we've spoken about things that operational or other administration things that would be better answered by those leaders. So I'll invite Dr. Lee first. Thank you and good evening. Um, I am Lana Lee and I'll be presenting the Medical Executive Committee AHS report to the Board of Trustees. Uh, your full report is in your packets and I'm just gonna highlight a few points. Uh, the medical staff supports the AHS weapons screening program in their efforts to mitigate risks for everyone visiting or working across our campuses. Um, their efforts include installing metal detectors at the public facing entrances of Alameda Hospital, Wilma Chan, Highland Hospital Campus, San Leandro Hospital, and the Newark Wellness Center. Uh, for quality, um, the medical staff has approved department-specific metrics as part of our improved ongoing professional practice evaluation. Um, we've also uh, identified as well as working with our physician champions to speak to this improvement in preparation for a joint commission visits and inspections. For staff and patient experience, Dr. Uh, Mr. James mentioned the provider lounge that opened this month. Um, it is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for our physicians and APP providers. I want to express my thank you to Trustee Bouquet, Mark Fratsky, Dr. Tornabene, and Mr. James Jackson, as well as everyone else in their efforts in helping us develop this space. The medical staff continues to work with AHS to identify department chairs for the emergency medicine, imaging and radiology, and orthopedic surgery. And lastly, for sustainability, um, the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine presented their report at our MEC. Chair Valerie Ng spoke about the expansion and integration of her department since 2016, such as including the ambulatory clinics, as well as integrating San Leandro Hospital, Alameda Hospital, Park Ridge, South Shore, and the Queden Wound Center. Um, they are also uh, crucial in helping us achieve our QIP metrics, such as screening for uh, cervical cancer, colorectal cancer, and diabetes. And that is the conclusion of my report, and I'm open to questions. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Questions for Dr. Lee? All right, and I was so uh, I, it was so great to meet with you, Dr. Lee, and also uh, see the new medical staff lounge. It's beautiful and so way overdue and much deserved. So I'm so glad there's this space. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet with you, and I'm sorry we had a little bit of a hard time finding it. <laughs> Our next, uh, Dr. Absali. Um, has not, is not here today. He had a bereavement in the family. Our, uh, you know, wishes are with thoughts are with his family at this time. I'll invite Dr. Joshi next. 
Okay, hi everyone. Thank you for the time to present to the board today. So the report is in the packets. A few important things to highlight is that we've started having our joint meetings with the Alameda Healthcare District Board and with HS leadership and ourselves representing the med staff. So that was a great first meeting and we have um, future upcoming meetings that are to come, which will be great. Uh, also want to highlight under quality, the second bullet point that uh, we are expanding our department structure to mirror HS. And so that includes <laughs> that we will be expanding beyond the three that we had previously, which was medicine, emergency medicine and surgery. And we'll be expanding to anesthesia, gynecology, orthopedic surgery and pathology. I think this is going to be allowing us to have further alignment with HS to have further alignment, especially when it comes to the quality care that we provide. Uh, I want to also highlight that under sustainability, that we started our in-person neurology coverage, which has been really important and value added for the Alameda Hospital patients, especially being a stroke center. Um, this has been already ongoing for at least two weeks, and I've heard really positive things already. So I'm really grateful to Dr. Harnabene for working with neurology to get us this resource. And that concludes my report. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Questions for Dr. Joshi? No. Um, I, uh, Mr. Harding, are you here? I saw the uh, San Leandro report that Dr. Idris, the written report that he had, and I wanted to know, um, uh, has the new ED manager started A, and then also, um, if, if if there's any update you have about the social work, social worker case management in the ED. Is that something you could answer, Mr. Harding? I am on. Can you? It's probably a little dark. Um, so your question about the ED manager for San Leandro, is that correct? Yes. Percy Yes, um, uh, yes. Uh, Adam Holder started, uh, it was last Monday. Um, so he's been uh, as the new nurse manager for the ED. Um, so he reports up to Chris, Chris Adams, our VP of patient care services. So he's on board. And I'm sorry, the second question was related to? Um, I think uh, the a uh, couple of things that have come up in the past meetings that Dr. Afsali usually raises are that the transfers are, um, how is that happening from your vantage as the administrative leader there? And then also uh, case management, social work. And again, I don't know who would be the person to um, answer that, but from your vantage, if, if, what are sure, I can, I, Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we, we continue to try find opportunities, I guess, um, to improve the process for transfers from the community hospitals. Um, I mean, every now and again, sure, there's a, a blip they may may occur. Um, you know, we actively engage the transfer center um, to support us. So, um, yeah, I know there's still ongoing work by Huron to help um, to help us. Um, smooth that process out and it's still gonna there's still work to do I will just say that so um uh, I'd like to say you know since I've been here since August I mean excuse me October of 2021 it's um I've seen some improvement uh, but I think we still have more opportunity as as you know just to make sure that things are um where they need to be um so um yeah so I um as far as a you know, case management, um, things of that nature. I believe we've 
We've, um, I'm trying to think we, from a staffing standpoint at San Leandro, I mean, I know we, we, we've had on the management side, at least those positions been filled. Uh, we did have a gap um, at Alameda Hospital in terms of the manager. So the manager over at San Leandro was covering for both facilities. But Esther Wu started up, Esther Wu started about, no, she started this week, actually this week. So she's the new um, case manager for Alameda. So she's dedicated to Alameda. So we now have managed leadership uh, respectively at both facilities. Hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think waiting for the social workers, right, in the ED, some kind of support. Oh, yeah, I, I, there's, I, we need to revisit that offline. I mean, I, I think there's um, some bit more vetting um, um, that needs to come with that um, meeting of the minds, um, you know, regarding a dedicated um, social worker inside of the ED. So that has not happened. Thank you. Go ahead. I have a question for you um, regarding, I see that there's many travelers listed on the, the report. How are travelers oriented? Do they get a set amount of time to orient it to the, the emergency department? Um, I don't know if I'll know the details of that trustee scene, um, if, unless my colleagues from here from nursing, um, which I don't know, I don't think Chris Adams is on here. I mean, I know there is an orientation that um, the travelers go through for sure, but I, you know, as far as the length of time um, that I can't tell you, but I do know there's some, some level of orientation that happens. Like they're just not, you know, certainly put out there um, given they have to get, there's some acclimation of course that has to happen in terms of our processes and protocols that happened in the ED. So we'll have to, yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. Do you have a, a nurse educator working in San Leandro right now? We do. Yeah, we finally, after uh, quite a bit of time gap, we've, we have uh, Hannah, she reports up to Barbara Mawaba, our director, um, but she has been very much hands-on. They are, they are, uh, I would say ramping up and have been all the things that we have had gaps for. So they've been doing skill competencies up on the second floor. Um, we've sort of reactivated, I'll put it like this, our education center, which is next to the ED. So there is definitely new life to, um, and it's just, it went into a lull for a period of time, but it's definitely back active and they've been conducting classes um, that you would normally see competencies, things that age. So that is definitely back on track. Great. That's great. Maybe this is more of a, it makes me just the nurse educator piece. Maybe you know this or someone else can answer. How many educators are supposed to be working for each site, each hospital site? Well, I know we have Hi. one. So Mario, I, this is real. I can oh, go yeah. ahead and take that. Hi. Sure. Yeah, so um, our structure is to have. Uh oh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, this is Ro, um, the CNO. Um, our structure is to have um, one educator at each of the community sites, and then we have one in ambulatory and three at um, Highland. So, um, but we do have vacancies, and the one in. Um, San Leandro, uh, Hannah, as uh, Mario just mentioned, she did actually just recently resign, but we did replace her with a traveler um, 
a traveler educator who's phenomenal, who actually wants to join AHS. Um, I think he's road testing us, but um, our structure is to have one at each of the community sites, one in ambulatory, and then um, enough for the tower inside of Highland. Great. How many of those are, are still needing to be filled? Um, we have, let's see, we have our meds, Telly. We, we are missing a, um, an educator in the Family Birthing Center, one for uh, critical care at Highland, one at um, Alameda as well. So we are missing at least three of them. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Trustee um, Esteen. And now we move on to the committee reports, um, trustee reports. And so I'll invite uh, Trustee Chapman first for the HR committee, which was called on the 18th. Thank you, President Banerjee. This was my uh, first HR committee, chairing the first HR committee. And I wanna thank um, President Banerjee for helping me. I had a, a, conf a conflict, so she helped me at the beginning of the meeting. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I also appreciate Lorna for helping me with some of our talking points that we're gonna talk about. So the last year we actually reviewed um, some of our standing dashboards that we um, have on a regular basis, which are recruitment, diversity, and uh, exit interviews. We also reviewed some HR uh, specific strategic plans related to staff and physician experience pillars. Uh, that's on our strategic actions and outcomes. And in the year, we actually did quite a bit of things. I was excited to actually hear about all of them. Um, even though I participated in the HR committee with um, former trustee Blue, it was just fun to actually relive what we've done over the last year. So the, um, I think uh, Mr. Jackson um, talked about the employee affinity group the, for Black History Month. We also have employee affinity groups that are formed and some that are being formed and we're the executive sponsor for that, have an executive sponsor for that. AHS's first tuition reimbursement program, which um, I was told uh, during our meeting that some employees have actually taken part in and um, are still you know, applying for reimbursement to um, get their tuitions reimbursed. The growth space coaching uh, platform, it was new in March, 2022, and we're restarting it in March, 2023. We relaunched, also relaunched the um, mentor-mentee program, but this first <laughs> cohort was fall 2022. I'm not sure when our next one's gonna be. Hopefully it'll be sometime the first half of this year. And then we've done several trainings, um, including but not necessarily limited to the uh, emotional intelligence and implicit bias training. And some of those trainings, I'm just gonna run through them because I want you guys to hear how robust the training program is. Um, Leadership Academy 3.0, Leadership Development Program, New and Refreshed Skills Labs, uh, Elective Courses for Leaders, Career Coaching, Tuition Reimbursement, Mentorship Program, Intern Pilot Program, and Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging. And then we also did a year of contributions from our HR divisions, including uh, Olay Health Path and our volunteer services. We re relaunch uh, the employee satisfaction survey. We're gonna be relaunching at fall of 2023. So sometimes September, October. 
Um, the second net promoter survey uh, score survey, we're gonna also do that in fall of 2023. And then our leadership development program for individual contributors and physicians. And the goal there is to actually train 100% of identified operational and physician leaders. Um, I know that's a, that's a huge goal, but you know, we're gonna strive for 100%. Uh, also, uh, our mentorship program and intern pilot program we um, are working on for next year. The diversity, inclusion, and belonging training, the goal there is also to have 100% participation in anti-racism, structural competency, and equity explicit training. So those are some of the things and goals that we have planned for next year. Talked about some of the things that we did last year. I'm very excited to be part of the HR committee and work with Lorna and her team. They're um, awesome in terms of the things that they're putting out. Not only are they doing transactions and recruitments and negotiations, they also are doing a lot of things that benefit our employees in order for us to be able to benefit and contribute to our community in a better way. That's it. Thank you, Trustee Chapman. You're Any welcome. questions for Trustee Chapman? There's a lot of work happening in HR. Yes, it was an incredible <laughs> uh, meeting. And just looking back at all that's been happening and then so many more to come. So great job uh, to the HR team for all you are doing. Um, QPSC, Christy, okay. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, the QPSC met on January 25th. And we started out by just doing the regular work of the committee, which includes uh, approving credentialing, policies and procedures, hearing quality reports, and directly interacting with our med staff uh, leaders. Uh, I'll say the QPSC accounts for uh, the prodigious part of this packet, which was almost 700 pages of reading across 30 policies and procedures, a whole slew of other things. So thank you for everyone's patience in uh, attempting to read that our, this evening's packet. We did, we did four other things uh, which were part of our regular work. One, we talked about an article the article was uh, entitled Understanding the Patient Experience. It's a conceptual framework. I think it's a good read for those of us who are uh, diving into that part of the patient experience as we should. Second, uh, we did something which is uh, going to be a regular standing item. As everyone knows, we've exploded our approach to how we're gonna approach equity. And uh, rather than it being a single item, uh, of, of, of a dashboard item, where it's gonna be so-called a column, so we uh, did a deep dive on the patient experience, and uh, that was uh, led by Angela Ng, Dr. Angela Ng, who's our director of care experience. We also heard from Annette Johnson, who is our quality analytics director, and she gave us a walkthrough on the quantitative approach to our LeapFrog scores and what needs to be done, the delta of the work that needs to be done to advance our scores. Everyone recalls in 2020, we were F, F, and D, we're, we're, we're moving along that pathway when we're striving towards an A. I don't think we'll be satisfied till we're A. Um, and last but not least, we heard our quality improvement project from our, our pharmacy department on the so-called yellow dot project, which is uh, basically patient safety uh, and medication error and keeping uh, compliance on how we do medications. And that was our evening. Thank you, Christine. Look at um, Trustee Fox. Okay, I'm reporting on the Finance Committee meeting of a week ago, February 1st. Um, Ms. Miranda reported that December was a very good month with an net income of $5 million, which was $3 million above budget. 
Year to date, our net income is $14 million, which is $10 million below budget. Our revenue year to date is $51 million above budget, but our expenses are $61 million above budget. And that's where the $10 million uh, variance comes from. Our uh, expense variance is primarily in labor. We've been efficient in our use of labor, but we're staffing more patient days uh, than we're being paid for and at a higher cost. And that's primarily driven by uh, registry. Uh, in terms of volume, our patient discharges are behind last year, but volume in the ED and trauma visits are above last year to date, and our inpatient and outpatient surgeries are above last year, and deliveries are essentially flat. We are behind in seeing patients in our clinics, and that relates to a shortage of uh, primary care physicians. And that's an area where hopefully we'll be able to catch up with our staffing, because to me that's an area that really demonstrates whether or not we're meeting our, our mission, which is to, you know, to give patients the same accessibility to healthcare that they would have if they were in the private sector system. And if we can't see them, that's, that's something that we gotta work on. Um, as Miranda further talked about the fact that we're on track to be behind budget, as we, as we were just discussing, uh, but the ELT has been working on a bridge plan to bridge that gap. There are a number of uh, initiatives that they've uh, been working on and, and uh, she reported on. And uh, at the end of the day, they're expected to bring in almost $40 million in revenue in addition to what we originally expected. And that will get us very close to budget by June 30th of this year. Most of that $40 million will come from government revenues. So uh, the committee was thankful to a management team that isn't just going to sit back and and see a big variance to the budget for the whole year, but work hard to uncover uh, bridge plan items to, to bridge the gap so we get close to budget, if not at budget. We had a report from uh, Mr. Harding about San Leandro Hospital. He talked a lot about the history of the hospital, its programs, and some of its needs, including upgrading the lobby and the ED and, and trying to compete with their very attractive acute rehab unit. And that the full text of that report's in your uh, agenda package if you want to see it. Uh, Grace Messina uh, was next on the agenda. She talked about uh, uh, the capital budget. Uh, we budgeted for $31 million in capital spending this year. We're expected to spend 19, so that's a $12 million under budget uh, variance. Um, next was a discussion of uh, the AHMG uh, 2022 uh, professional services agreement which uh, turned out that we spent $3 million more than the board had authorized. Um, the committee uh, approved the motion recommending that the board approve the authorization of the additional $3 million. And, and uh, the 2023 uh, projected cost of $97 million, and that's on the calendar tonight for approval. Dr. Achilles Warren and Ms. Miranda presented uh, a summary of the activities of uh, AHMG for 2022. It was very impressive what they've accomplished, uh, including uh, a great many positions filled, uh, a lot more to do, but um, you know, since that, the development of our medical staff is really a very major strategic uh, initiative for the organization. Uh, 
it's gratifying to see that a lot of progress is being made. And that's my report. Thank you, uh, Trustee Fox. And um, Dr. Mack is here. Uh, yes, we will be, you know, the primary and the um, care. We know how hard you all have been working in trying to, in, uh, you know, prioritizing your goals with the shortage that you have over there and, uh, and the recruiting too. So we look forward to hearing from you um, very soon. Thank you. All right. Next on our item is the consent agenda. And um, before I invite a motion, I, I wanted to acknowledge the incredible amounts of work that are done by so many leaders in the design and the development of the policies. And this process is very expertly stewarded by Ms. Dalton um, Giovanetti and her team. So thank you, Satira, for your work. I wanted to make sure that our trustees had a chance to see you. So if you can just unmute your line because you all do this work and sometimes it's very invisible uh, unless one is in QPSC. So Ms. Dalton, are you, are you here? I did see her in a little bit, but yes. But we wanted to say thank you for the amount of work that goes and to all of the folks who are, you see the names of the people who are out there. For those of us not working at AHS, these policies are a very powerful window to get a glimpse about the complexity of care provision and delivery. So uh, in this month's list, there were a number of policies that were very uh, valuable discussion items, patient privacy issues, how the, we're experiencing sitters, how to support a culture of compliance, and as well as our language service policy. So just to let you know that we will be discussing the language service policy in a, at a later time in, a, in our agenda very soon. Um, so with that, um, I have a question. We usually have a section for our AHMG um, CEO to present. And because that is not on the agenda, I wanted to make sure that the item number E7, which is a big ticket item that the Finance Committee has moved forward, that if there is discussion that that's needed for that, do we, General Counsel, do I call, um, invite a motion, um, and then pause for discussion if there are any questions? How does this work? Uh, Chair, Chair Banerjee, so... Um... Yeah, if, if you'd like to have discussion, uh, you can approve all items here except for E7 and, and table the E7 for discussion. And um, so you can do it that way. So approve items E through E1 through E8, except for E7, if that's what the board wishes to do. Other items, are there any questions for um, our uh, Dr. Akileshwan? I see. Uh, can, uh, I try to answer any questions. Okay. I had one or two, but uh, um, anyone else? Madam Chair, may I make a comment? Yes. Uh, I am employed by Alameda Native Health Medical Group, oh. so if, so I was going to recuse from item Echo Seven anyways. Okay. If a discussion was going to be happening, I would like to remove myself from the room. Okay. Which I'm happy to do, and, and just uh, I'm happy to approve all everything else if that's perfectly appropriate. For so you wouldn't have voted on that. I, I would not have voted on Echo Seven, anyways. However, I think by the, the process we've been in is remove myself from 
discussion in the room. Okay. Think, if that's okay. All right. So let's, uh, if I can invite a motion to um, approve item one, two, three, four, five, six, and eight. So moved to approve item E1, two, three, four, five, six, and eight. Second. Second. Me too. All right. <laughs> um, so it was moved by Trustee Bouquet and seconded by Trustee Essene uh, to approve the consent <laughs> item. And then we had some administrative changes that we wanted to make to the minutes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, and I'm noting those in the minutes. And if it's okay, I can just go ahead and review them real quick. quick. Yeah. Um, uh, in the minutes from the January meeting, I'm just going to clarify um, that Trustee Banerjee said none of the current board members were able to take on the position of secretary at the time. And then just to clarify the motion um, for the executive committee was moved by Trustee Bouquet and seconded by um, Trustee Splendorio. And that was not clear. <laughs> so I will update those. And uh, we have a motion and a second, so I'll go ahead and call roll. Um, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman? Aye. Trustee Oblivacion? Aye. Trustee Splendorio? Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. 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 Thank that this is separate from what the SEIU negotiations are happening, right? So if sometimes in the boardroom, we get a kaleidoscope of organization by organization and wanted to know like, as we do this, how does that impact some of the other uh, physician groups that we will be working with, like given that there's a bridge. So uh, some of the other negotiations that happen. So there's parity, there's some equity in that. So that's number one. And then two, as you're kind of estimating, uh, what are some things that we need to keep in mind? Okay. So in regard to the first question, um, what we did is uh, over the last year, we did do some rate increases that were not in the original PSA. Okay. And we didn't bring those forward to the board. So there was about a 3% rate increase given over the period of the year. Uh, and then in addition to that, we recruited far more positions than we thought we would. So we only had a, a $2.2 million budget for recruiting, and we ended up spending um, uh, a total of $7 million. So it was, that's the biggest reason for the overage. Okay. Uh, we did have some you know, folks that terminated, which obviously had a positive reference. But net-net, we are ahead um, 38.2 positions. So really great to see. Um, the amount that we're asking for today is just the committed folks that are here today. There's no increase for anybody in this agreement. We're just renewing it with all of the changes, the 3% that we've already committed to, and these new people for a full year. Uh, and the reason for that is, is that we're doing the negotiation with the SEIU, and we will negotiate there what increase will be in the next renewed agreement and then we would bring that to the board for approval. Okay. 
So that is helpful because I was like, I had read that, that this is, you know, this, and this doesn't take into account some of the SEIU thing. And I was just wanting to know, like, this will go into the negotiation that we Yes, we were really, we took, went back and forth on it and we thought we really can't speculate. <laughs> so we just said, this is what we've committed to these, these individuals today. So this is what we're going to renew, knowing that we're going to have to come back once we have uh, a negotiated agreement with the SEIU. Got it. Thank you for indulging. Um, and in regard to the contracted positions, they're not part of this, but we have to be really careful because in some cases the positions meet the professional needs. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you know the conditions when they're working are different. So, so getting parity is not a simple thing. Mm -hmm. And um, when we're negotiating this, as far as I know, we're not negotiating any of the other agreements at the same time. No. No, but yeah, Dr. Kelsmore and I are, are working together on that, and we're just focusing on how they help. Okay, and um, all right, great. So, any no other questions from anyone else? No. Okay, may I have a motion to approve item E7, which is the approval of amendment of professional services agreement with the Alameda Health Medical Group? So moved. Second. All right. I'll second. Uh, <laughs> Thank you all. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, item F, which is our action discussion item. And this this portion, and we're still kind of playing around with it, James. And we one of the reasons why we asked the trustees what you're wanting to see is also this would be an item for discussion. So there are three items here, as you, as you can see. And this portion of the agenda is for collective learning and discussion. And hoping that the discussions we have here might either help synthesize what already might be known, but create new insights, or might awaken new possibilities for change that might have been inadvertently overlooked or suppressed. So. Uh, just to kind of frame this a little bit, because each of these are not discrete items, there's a true line running through it. As you saw, um, uh, FAST is prologue, and the U.S. healthcare system especially has so normalized and operationalized the deviance of institutionalizing unequal distribution of advantages and disadvantages when it comes to both the prevention part as well as the treatment, causing gaps in life expectancy, wildly different health outcomes. So with this strategic plan, we are pushing ourselves to go from a place of neutrality, of like we are good providers, we are doing all we can, to that next level of um, accountability is what do I do personally and collectively to reckon with the deviance that has been so normalized in us within the larger and broader healthcare systems. What do I do individually and collectively to address the life expectancy and life quality gap and the health disparities? So this is, as we saw with 
uh, with the external pressures coming to us, all accountabilities from CalAIM and the Joint Commission, this is not an optional activity. We have inherited such a deviant system and what actions are we taking to redress? Um, and so um, starting with the first item, which is a discussion on our strategic plan and updates, I'm thrilled to um, introduce uh, our Chief Strategic Officer, Jeanette Don, um, and uh, to give us an update on the strategic plan so far. So welcome, Ms. Don, this time is yours. Okay, thank you, Chair Banerjee, trustees. I'm gonna share my screen. Did we? Oh, yeah. Oh, your line might be muted, Jeanette. Are you are you saying anything yet? Are you able to hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, thank you all for uh, allowing me. Your audio, Jeanette, I'm sorry, but um, your audio is uh, cutting in and out a little bit. Might help if you turn your video off and see if the bandwidth improves that way. Okay. Oh, we can hear you now. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I thank you for this time. Uh, I've been here for about uh, I think I just take three months, so you're probably wondering, you know, what I've um, what I've been up to. So uh, I've been with numbers, um, key leaders, uh, staff positions, and clinicians to just here to assist me. Jeanette, yes, uh, and Miss Don, we are having some audio issues. So I wonder. I'm gonna go grab her. Oh, she's come in here. Oh, uh, while while you're doing that, then um, maybe we could um, move on with the item F two. You think? Just so so that we keep the agenda moving. What do we? Yeah. So um, this is a really um, this is the AHS. Um, language service update, uh, a language service uh, policy that we approved. And as you can see, sometimes um, language service is a right, not an option. And, uh, and I'm so uh, honored to have Sambo Lee, who's the manager of interpretation services to share a little bit uh, with us. Uh, Ms. Lee has been with the system for over 30 years. She's started as an interpreter for Cambodian language um, speaking patients and has stayed on with our system. So welcome, Miss um, Lee. And we also have the executive leaders, uh, Ro Lofton, our chief nursing officer, and Mac Mark Brown, our CAO for Wilma Campus, on standby if we have any 
questions for you, but I'd like to start with Miss um, Lee. Um, if you could start a little bit with just telling us how you came to be at San Leandro and what what the role of an interpreter has been and how it's evolved over this time. Um, thank you, uh, Trustee, for giving me the opportunity to come and speak to you all. It's an honor to share with you about uh, the language service here at Alameda System. I started working at Alameda Health System back in 1987, serving as the uh, Cambodian interpreter for the Alameda Health System. During that time, there was an influx of Southeast Asian refugees coming from Cambodia, Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam. Um, at that time, I uh, took the opportunities and uh, working as a Cambodian interpreter, and it's been a, a, a privilege uh, serving our patient population. My uh, goal of working in Alameda Health System with the language services is to simply, you know, help our patient to describe his or her pain during his or her visit to Alameda Health System. And um, as I uh, shared with you uh, from our previous conversation, Alameda Health System is one of the, uh, um, you know, top leadership in language system. About 15 years ago, we provide interpretation services all in person. Uh, our interpreter travel from Newark uh, Health uh, Wellness Center to come to Highland to provide language assistance for our patients. I used to work an offsite at an office in Ambagdero, and when there is a Cambodian patient at Highland ER, I have to get in my car go to Highland searching for parking. Probably I spent an hour traveling. And when I get to Highland, I can provide interpretation for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, you know, that's really a, a lot of time that we waste by you know, uh, commuting and not uh, providing uh, services to other patients. Highland used to be a, a, a hospital who well known to the community that, you know, if you come to Highland and you need interpreter services, you might as well pack your lunch because you're going to spend four to six hours at the hospital waiting for the interpreters. So in 2003, Alameda Health System embraced technology. So we implement video medical interpretations where our patient or our interpreter can provide services at a different site, uh, whether the patient is at Highland and our interpreter at Newark, they can connect and provide services within a few minutes. We change our you know, productivity from interpreter service standpoint. You know, for our Spanish interpreter prior to the remote access, our Spanish interpreter can provide, can only serve about six patients for the eight hour shift. Now with the remote interpretation, our Spanish interpreter can serve up to 30 patients in eight hour shift. So I, you know, from my services line, I know that our patient now receive interpretation services and not being seen without, you know, proper language assistance. And um, I also want to take this opportunity, you know, to thanks all the physician champion, Dr. Bouquets who always supporting language assistant 
he's uh, from time to time reached out to me and asking me if I need any support from him. Dr. Minnie Swift, who championed our bilingual staff program, you know, since 2014. And Dr. Sim McKay, who's uh, introduced interpreter services to the intern and resident. This year, our uh, we have an increase in our bilingual um, assistant program up to 20%. We have a physician, we have bilingual employees stepping up uh, wanted to utilize their language skill in serving our patient. So um, we have come a long ways, you know, and I'm also wanted to say, Mr. Jackson, I wish everybody will follow your lead. If you see something wrong, fix it. If you see trust, pick up trust. If you see a patient loss, help our patient. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Ms. Lee. I know that you had said that sometimes even something, even before you uh, are in your appointment, wayfinding can be hard for um, folks. And so the policy had a lot of, I mean, so nuanced and so uh, because of the different definitions, there's American Sign Language, there's so many others. Now, what do that? It has to be requested and then. It, you are so the provider has to request it. How, how, in terms of speaking on behalf of your patients, do you see this policy being uh, that there's consistent request for interpreter services? Yeah, I think the, the policy is uh, mainly is um, you know inform our staff to uh, make sure that call for interpreter services. From you know, I am you know on my daily uh, tasks. I can serve from an interpreter to a dispatcher to a manager. So I, I see, you know, all, all lines of services from my department. And I see all the barrier that our patient and our provider went through. You know, uh, most of the time, you know, we, we always thinking about time crunch. We're thinking about our convenience. We, we don't take time to listen to our patient. For example, um, Patient call, we give patient a right phone number, but when the patient call back and when the staff cannot communicate, instead of trying to ask the patient, you know, uh, or getting an interpreter, we just dumb call to somebody. Our interpreter service receive about 20% of the call is all dumb call because no one mm -hmm. wants to spend that little time asking the patient, what's the patient really need? I don't speak all the language that the patient call. But when I receive the phone call, I take the time and ask the patient, what is the patient need? And they, I can tell you, they can tell, our patient can describe what they need, but we just don't take the time. And, you know, our provider sometimes, because we don't allocate enough time for our doctor to see patients who need interpreters. You know, the, uh, the patient who need interpreter probably need double time. 15 minutes is not enough. So most of the time, our patient in a rush. And um, so they probably, you know, trying to utilize their Spanglish, you know, to communicate with the patient because calling an interpreter uh, needs an extra time. We also have uh, technology barriers. You know, when interpreter services, we have uh, different uh, equipment to call for interpreter services, telephone and videos. When the video is not working, no one call. 
And then uh, I'm doing my best doing equipment roundings. I try to round on ER, which is, I think, the most critical. But sometimes when those equipment is not working, nobody calls for repair. The, the equipment, yeah, equipment yeah, assigned to interpreter services, but it's not belong to me, it belongs to all of us. That is what I wanted to ask. So yeah. uh, the, the, sometimes when you're called the Uber, uh, so these are some of the pain points that you have of, of equipment that, that is everybody's responsibility because language is a right, again, not an option or not something that's extra. That is so making sure that the, um, whichever department or part of the organization is calling on you that they have the technology that works for them. Yeah, and again, just like you uh, state wayfindings, you know, I used to work at Highlands patient loss all the time. Now I am at Fairmont. We have patients in walkers walk to the A building because they try to look for PT. PT is in H building. It's not in A building. So mm -hmm. our patient, you know, I think sometimes we all need to think about how much time was the effort our patient made to come to us. You know, they had to get on so many buses. They go to the wrong place. And they're late, and I see some people just flying through Fairmont campus trying to get to the H building so that they can be on time. I have a question. You mentioned that uh, patients need interpretation because you have to have kind of the conversation re repeated. They need more time. But how does that work when? I know that there's going to be a shift in okay. doctor productivity and in calculation of care metrics. How did we take that into account? That somebody who has a patient with language needs might need more time. I mean, this feels like an operational issue. We may need to know ahead of time too, so you can schedule the interpreter in advance so that they're ready when the doctor's ready. Does that happen? No, no. I'm not sure that it does. No. <laughs> I'll start off by saying there's probably not a bigger fan of our interpretive services here than, than me. I mean, I, uh, every day of my clinical life that I've been here for 15 years, I've used, I've used interpretive services. Doc Sambo runs a great, a great unit. All the people in there, they're all passionate believers in this system. But to the, to the discussion about equity, yeah, I, would, I would agree with you, Trustee Asin. It is, this is a potential equity gap when all templates are assigned, regardless of language. And I agree with Sambo on the, probably it's a two X factor for, for, for those who don't speak uh, English. In the past 48 hours, I've called their service at least eight times and had Cantonese, Tagalog, Spanish, Mien, and Mongolian. And, and each of those, boy, that's, it, it takes a good chunk of time. So I think these are discussions that we get to have this year about how we make it more equitable for, for those who do not speak English. Um, and it's not currently built into our template. This will certainly have financial and operational <laughs> but it's sometimes hard. On Epic, it tells you what language, it's relatively accurate, which is pretty good. So, but it's very difficult to have someone scheduled in advance by pure virtue of the volume right. that we do. I, I would estimate, this is just a, in the air, 40 to 60%. Patients need interpretation. Yeah. So there was so, so it's hard, very hard to schedule, especially when we're not running on time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, <coughs> that makes sense. Or to like put in the cue, just like even the tick that yeah. you're, you're going to need some kind of interpretation. So part of part of the wait time is, and th th this is a demand capacity issue. You're going to spend sometimes four to six minutes, four to eight minutes waiting for the interpretation. Everyone here, uh, you know, uh, appreciation to the services we've contracted out to, loves our in-house and. In Services. Our in-house services are bar none. I mean, they, they are excellent, but there's not enough of them, so we have to farm it out to the outside services. What I love, and I'm going off on a rant here because I'm such a big fan, but, but what I love about our in-house interpreters, when you speak to Leonardo or Warren or, 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 or Julie, they, they know, I've spoken with this patient before. I know she's hard of hearing, Dr. Gutek, so we're going to have to go a little bit slower and louder. They know. I, yes, they know. I know this patient's sister. She died last last week, and and they just know, it's just amazing. So it's, yeah. it's they're the not translators, time. right? They're, they're they're interpreting the the, the story of the patient, which is sort of amazing. Mm -hmm. And now I'll show them. So, so I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, and thanks for your explanation. But you're a physician, and what happens when the patient needs to talk to a nurse or an aide? Or an EDS person calling to me. I mean, you can't. How many times a day does somebody who speaks Mandarin have to talk to somebody that doesn't? What happens all those times when it's not obviously when it's a physician, it's paramount important. But what if it's when, what if it's an RN? What if what if it's an aide? How do they talk? How do they take themselves up under under those circumstances? So if, if I may, yes, uh, the same thing. It, it, it becomes the bottleneck. You know, one thing. You know. The doc doctors often don't run on time, but the, the <laughs> nurses has already had a translator and tried to hold on to the translator for as long as they could, but they had to let them go back into the queue. And then the doctor, you know, shows up. Shows up four, 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 nine, one. Right. Then you have to get and wait for translation again. So these are some of the bottlenecks. I, a great thing that we have in house is that many of our employees speak second languages. I actually don't know the math on this. This would be an interesting. Only some of them meet a certification. I can't remember, Felicia. Like level one, Sambo, help us out. The, 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 the in-house employees have to qualify to be an official interpreter, correct? Yes, the um, bilingual employee have to pass the assessment, the language assessment test. And we also uh, provide training. We have uh, two levels. Level one is only communicate with general uh, information. Level two have the ability to uh, Provide language assistance with medical terminologies. And, Those do are the, like, and do things like consent, right? Level two. The level two can only consent if, if it in be in the scope of services. But if you are a physician, for example, Dr. Swift, if she passed the Hindi test, she can consent the patient on her own without using an interpreter because it's in, be in her scope of services. What's the percentage of in-house interpretation services? And contracted out interpretation oh, services. It's about 50-50. We provide 50% uh, uh, of uh, services from in-house and 50 is uh, from the vendors. Is that a change over time? Um, it, it changed over time, yeah. But right now, because we are not, uh, our services only open from 8 to 5 days. Uh, of our and weekend is uh, contracted to vendors. So my question again, and I'm looking to see if there are other questions. Someone has raised their um, hand. Dr. Uh, Trustee Abhigashin? 
Did you have a question? Yes, I do. Isn't contract um, getting vendors are more expensive? Uh, I just kind of want to see when you mentioned 50-50, what is the cost when we contract with uh, vendors versus, you know, oh. utilizing our own? I'm just wondering. Well, you know, um, we have a staff interpreter for the uh, high demand languages, but you know, the contractors, so over 300 languages. Is somebody uh, requesting for Mongolians? We probably only have two or three Mongolian patients, so it's not sufficient to have a staff interpreter for that language. Got it, thank you. So, and Havni, uh, your team is uh, covers every facility, right? So the ambulance, yes. the yeah. John George. Uh, how, how big is the team? How big is the team? We have a total of 21 staff. We have uh, 15 full-time Spanish and Tabru. We have three uh, Cantonese and Mandarins. One uh, death. Uh, that is kind of woefully short, and I think, like as you all are thinking about, uh, you know, this ties in very well with what, as you know, we are looking mm -hmm. at what is that foundational year, what is the infrastructure supports that we need, because this is an issue of equity. Well, then it's eight to five. Yeah. You know, even just the hours of operation for the interpretive services is eight to five Monday through Friday at night. And what does that look like? You know, what are the peak hours? So much to consider. Can family members help if it's not uh, medically related? If it's just I'll defer to Sam, but usually we, 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 we defer doing yes. that because yeah. there's cultural things yes. and then there's family dynamics, which yes. you may not be attuned to. Mm -hmm. They don't want to tell grandmother that she has blank. Mm -hmm. And you don't know that they're not. <laughs> so that, that, that becomes very challenging. And tell me if the template has to be changed to allow that 2x time, because it, it that's what it means, is who, who does that? Like, is it like the medical staff who has to kind of work around to be this be an equity? issue and say like we need to allocate more time of 60% of our uh, population is multilingual speakers. Currently our, we have, as Dr. Patel was alluding to, we have pretty standard templates in terms of visit times. I, I think it's absolutely something that, that we can review and with our Android operations leaders around how do we account for this? Are there workloads to help support faster, you know, movement for our patients in the clinic in order to get that interpreter on the line right at the time we need them, etc. So I think we need to look at those. Because that it just one size fits all is mm -hmm. not equity. Uh, Ms. Lee, is there anything else you wanted to say in the time that you had with us? Thank you. This is like eye-opening because um, you know I, I just want um, to take the opportunity opportunity to thank you. Um, you know, all the um, support for interpreter services. And I, I think, as you mentioned earlier, that we want every AHS employee to understand that, you know, language is the right, it's not an option. We should not, you know, bypass that uh, or make a decision for our patient because, you know, language uh, barrier is invisible. It, I call uh, invisible disabilities. 
for example, if you see somebody with a wheelchair, you would most likely mm -hmm. go help. But if you see the patient who cannot speak in, in uh, English, you will not know patient lost all the time. Nobody want to take that opportunity to assist the patient because you don't see it. So uh, I work, you know, from my experience work in the communities at Alameda Health System personally, you know, the language barrier really impact the health outcomes of our patient. When our patient not, cannot describe, you know, their symptoms to the patient, therefore the physician cannot treat them. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I want to, a story is I live in the community and I met somebody who, and we are dedicated staff who are working really hard. And so everybody is coming in with the best of intentions. And I heard them say, they said, you've been here for 12 years and you still don't speak English or like, you know, something like that or to say so. Uh, or thinking that this is something free or extra that you're giving is they are paying through Covered California or whichever alliance or whichever way. And how that just because one has, um, you know, speaks multiple languages and English is not their first language, um, I hope, you know, we have to make sure that we don't treat them as any less and not see them as deficient, even in terms of like how we treat as English. What, what is the uh, acronym that yes. we use? Uh, yes, yes. Um, they are usually multi, speak two or three languages and could, you know, and yet we call them from that one language that they probably is not their first language. So just making sure that, you know, we uh, in, in, keeping the template, some of the niceties of give and other things are lost. And so what is the, what might be the impact on, on these uh, patients to always keep that in mind. Um, Samuel, anything else? Um, that's all I have. And again, Dr. Smith, uh, thank you, Mrs. Jackson, uh, for supporting language services. Many thanks. Um, Ms. Lee for uh, shining a light on a patient population that's often overlooked and under-acknowledged. Thank you. Thank you. And now we'll go to <laughs> Ms. Dawn. Sorry about that false start. No little, little football language to prepare for Sunday. <laughs> um, okay. Do I share? No, I'm sharing it or trying, but my Zoom, every time I share, my Zoom crashes. So I don't know. Can you hear? Oh, that's no, fast. I, 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 this is just the packet. I can't share it with you. Oh, no, hold on. I'm going to try again. Sorry. So you guys can follow along. But I was, this is this is for your personal honor. But uh, you're very tech savvy. I want to. Oh, I'm not tech savvy. But you can share our screen. I'm not logged in. This is this is just the downloaded packet. Oh, I have to restart Zoom. One moment, please. General Counsel. <laughs> You there, Mark? Oh, yeah. Well, my whole computer. Yes, uh, yes, uh, Trustee Bouquet. Sir, can you use some of your tech savvy to pull up uh, the Chief Strategy Officer's uh, slides? Page 67. I'm, oh, going to, I'm going to try, but I've been having trouble. I've been logging off and logging back in. So <laughs> I have some internet connection issues at home. 
Me too. Right. And not every time I try and share my Zoom yeah. breaks the question. So if you want to email the slide deck to me, I'm happy to share. I think uh, Dr. Tornabene is pulling it up. Item F1, correct? Yeah. Are you okay doing that? 671 page. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm here. Let me share. Thank you so much. Sure. Sorry, everybody. Safe. Sorry, everybody. Started with me. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, sure. I am not even in Zoom anymore. Is that in? Oh, yes. There it is. That's probably good enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take what I can get. Okay. They want you to like increase the size a little so we see one there. Okay. Well, Felicia's adjusting the size. I'm going to try to run through this before any other tech issue comes up. So I've been here for three months. I've been meeting with ELP members. It's so hard not to see everybody. And I'm trying to clarify, reinforce, and find out the status of the strategic actions that have been assigned to our ELP owners and other members of our leadership. So I've been doing that, and what you're getting today is an update of what I found out so far. And what we've been also doing um, is refining the vision, developing more specific goals and actions. Um, we definitely are in the process right now of making sure fiscally that our estimates are correct and match the action. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at Kim because um, we are taking each action and asking the leaders of each action to estimate the potential impact, if there is any, on our next fiscal year and to quantify it for us. So moving to refine the numbers that you've seen before is part of the plan. So I'm going, gonna, we're, my, I'm gonna do a general overview, gonna go through each pillar more specifically and um, and we can have a very broad discussion. I'm going to give you an update on some of the actions that have been done that I think you will be you will feel encouraged. So a reminder: um, this is our strategic framework. Oh, I didn't do my I didn't do my because I can't talk, I can't talk and swipe at the same time. Um, um, this is a reminder of a strategic framework where the patients and family uh, is, is the center. And it's surrounded by the four pillars, which you've seen before, sustainability, quality, care, staff and physician experience, and community connection. And around that circle, just as a reminder, are the values that we've agreed to as we execute this plan. Accountability, trust, and data-driven. Data and of course, around that, another reminder that we're using the very large lens of headings. All of that that encompasses in the preamble that was in the overall strategic plan. Oh, sorry, I went too far. This is a further definition. You've all, most of you have seen this before many times that provide the definitions for each one of those components and the, and the enablers, which is the staff and clinician and heading. Okay, so let's go into the progress updates. I thought I would outline a few things that we're doing that engage heading principles in our strategic plan work. One, we're utilizing data and making sure that we um, 
disaggregate and look at race and ethnicity needs when we evaluate service or program expansions. And Dr. Tornabene has been part of this process. We really look not only at the people we serve, but who can we potentially serve in our community? And what does that also look like for other hospitals? Is there a market there? What does it look like? And just aggregate the data so we can look at the health equity issues that potentially um, will um, um, come up. Um, and then with that kind of information, we can create programs and initiatives with intentionality. I always, I hear a lot all the time that, of course, that's the people we serve, but and health equity can only be achieved with intentionality. And um, a good example of that kind of programming is our beloved birth program with great intentionality, deep community connection, culturally competent. Um, they've done, uh, Dr. Smith and um, Jaisha Ren have done a great job. Uh, we've been strengthening um, uh, existing partnerships and trying to identify where we might support new ones and developing community priorities. Um, we're going to employ the equity tool that Dr. Swift has uh, circulated among us and heading members. And we're very focused on including the patient voice. First pillar is the sustainability pillar. And on the left are some of the identified strategic actions in the plan. And I will highlight that our CFO, Kim, has done a fantastic job. You see on the right some of the key highlights that we had a record year for revenue cycle performance. Um, finance has completed contract negotiations for our payers. That's major. And, and you've heard Trustee Fox talk, report out in the finance committee about the bridge plan to close the gap. So those are three very significant um, outcomes thus far. And another highlight is that Mark Amy and his team achieved these enterprise level certifications, which is also part of the plan. Next slide for quality. Um, again, on the left, on the left, this, this talks about providing safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient-centered care. This is the pillar. So on the right are the key highlights. Um, incorporated true north metrics. Uh, into the month in the Moore's meeting, monthly operating meetings. Um, and that's something that Mark Brasky can work on. Uh, we established a business development uh, process that we're uh, still in draft that feeds into the EPMO, which is a Mark Amy's group. This is how we develop new programs, uh, strategies, and services. It's like a service line process. Can you just outline the acronym, the EPMO? Oh. Enterprise project management. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that assist. <laughs> yeah, and this is how we develop uh, services, programs, and it feeds into project management into Mark Amos Group, who handles project management. Um, and we are also including voice as we develop, patient voice as we develop these new lines of service. Wow. Uh, before, well, when we, so, my shop will be developing market data and we meet with the physician leaders and Dr. Tonner Bain and Dr. Mack. And we work through what the general market, as I discussed before, it goes, it will go through the um, 
executive leadership team upon the approval of the CEO. And when it gets to the uh, uh, EPMO, when the project is being finalized, we're hoping that we will include patient voice so that it can inform the best strategies for execution. Does that make sense? So now these are utilization data that you're getting from market. Yeah, our data, that at the, so the top part is strategy, the bottom part is EPMO. Mm -hmm. The top part is our data, market data, and then statewide data. Mm -hmm. And then what other, you know, we get all this information about what other hospitals are doing and what their data looks like. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. How would you, I guess I'm just curious, and then maybe this is two in the leads for now, how we collect patient input? Oh, I'm getting to that. Okay, good. Okay, um, are you talking about in general or in this process? In this process. Um, I haven't talked to Dr. Tornabene yet about this, but I'm guessing, for example, we just, which one do you want to use? Uh, pulmonary? Can I use pulmonary? Sure. So right now we're exploring the potential of having pulmonary rehab because our patients right now don't have anywhere to go for pulmonary rehab. And we have an enormous number of people with COPD, emphysema, and communities of color that traditionally smoke also. So in the exploration, we're not done yet, so I wanna say it's tentative for those of you who are listening. We're, we look at the data and we have patients and we know a lot of them are African-American and Asian Pacific Islander. So potentially we could call some of our patients to do a focus group or something like that to say, hey, we're thinking of doing this and then ask a lot of questions that, that the physician and, you know, that the physicians can um, help us help craft yeah. before the some kind of survey. Mm -hmm. or, or focus, you know, yeah. or telephone call. Yeah. We do have patient advisory. Are we kind of thinking of increasing those and strengthening those? We know we have a lot of uh, advisory group and things so that episodically <coughs> we don't dip into the patients and say, come for a survey, but we have the relationship with them that you know, there's mm -hmm. a cadre of them or who have a network who are like kind of helping co-design in in I, I am still um, I am still trying to develop a comprehensive list of all the committees. It's um a full time job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that more in a minute too. But anyway, I really want to thank uh, Dr. Torna Benning for participating with me on this journey of business development. Um, oh, okay. I know that the Board of Trustees is very interested in IOP, so I'm going to pause here and provide more than I normally would as we go through this presentation. Um, and I know Patty is on the line, so Patty, chime in anytime. Um, Beginning in 2021, 20, all IOP patients were evaluated uh, clinically for moving to a lower level of care and was accomplished by September of 2022. After reorging IOP to be in compliance with suggested CMS guidelines for length of stay, no patients in IOP have a longer uh, length of stay than six months and most of them three. Um, staffing adjustments and new assignments were made to support the transition new services, all staff are on board. Um, schedules were developed, transportation engaged to support new programming and transportation needs. 
vacant positions have been filled for management at Highland IOP, as well as full-time therapists, which capped off a year and a half project to stabilize and rebuild that program. Uh, staff vacancies were also filled at Fairmont to support program changes and growth of multiple levels of care. Now there is one full-time therapist staff vacancy yet to be filled at Highland. Um, this, is, this is really quite incredible. And the last thing I'll, I'll highlight, unless Patty would like to add more, the pro-fee billing was verified for IOP and being placed in EPIC that will substantially increase IOP revenue. Um, and so Patty had a great assist from Kim, our CFO. But these are some of the highlights of IOP um, and they've done a fantastic job. I don't know if Patty wants to um, add. I just want to do one little shout out to that team there because the, the teams at both Highland and at Fairmont because I, I really feel that they've, they've kept the community in community mental health. I like to say that because so many programs disappeared and became only virtual and or they're too short term. And this is really a population that needs that long term life management of support. And so we've really been able to say this is your home. You can keep coming here, but doing it in a way that that they can have the level of care that they need, not and um, rather than just the intensive level of IOP, which has meant more of a hospital avoidance or a step down from hospitals. So um, anyway, so I'm just really happy that we've been able to, to keep those programs um, alive and um, really growing by creating that little wellness uh, section that people can just continue to stay with and get what they need. So thanks for sharing that, Jeanette. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Patrick. Okay, next pillar is the community connection pillar. And this pillar is about going back to uh, Chair Banerjee, what you were talking about, that we want to anchor in the community, align ourselves with services to deliver a comprehensive continuum of care by providing the needed services and being a trusted partner to the community at large. So on the right, you see some key highlights. Um, going, I want to address the patient experience since uh, there were a couple of comments about that. What we're doing in addition to reestablishing some of the patient advisory committees, there was one at Highland quite some time ago, uh, and there was one also at Alameda Hospital, but before COVID, it kind of, it, it disbanded, um, no longer meets, but we're going to reinvigorate those committees definitely. But also, I just want to say that Mr. Jackson is really committed to just making sure that there's a patient feedback loop because we have all these great staff that listen to our community. Mm -hmm. They receive feedback from our community, complaints from our, our, our patients and community, and we, want, and, and we want to make sure that it is there's a feedback loop where it affects the quality of our services. Mm -hmm. So I am, I have met almost, I have one more person with all the folks in this particular area. And um, I'm going to work with Mr. Jackson Dr. Tornabene um, and others to figure out how we get that to happen. It, there's a lot, it, it's kind of complicated in the sense that there's a number of entry points for our, our patients and community. Uh, let's see. Ms. Dong, I'd include in the community connection pillar, if you will, our health path program and our volunteer program. Oh. Uh, those, those are important highlights and you know, we have OUSD students who are who are on our campus all the time. 
and we're investing in our future uh, uh, with that regard and our volunteers as well. Our, our great community connections. Yeah, those are excellent, excellent recommendations. I, I wanted to bring up that uh, um, the Cancer Collaborative, which is working on, um, you know, really looking at the extent of colon, um, prostate, uh, breast and uterine cancer, cervical cancer, in that group. That is just such a multifunctional group. We have Patricia Food, our physician. We have people from um, the Women's uh, <coughs> Resource, WRC, the Women's Resource Cancer Center in Berkeley. We have our own patient uh, advisors. They have been meeting for about two years, and now uh, Dr. Uh, Damon Francis used to be the executive sponsor. Now, well, Dr. Swift is, and I'm part of that design team. But just having these patients, uh, uh, the, our patients or our advocates, co-designing and saying, this is what you should not be doing. This is what you should be doing. This is what's helpful to us in the field. Why we need somebody like patient navigation. Um, we have, I have the, you know, honor of working with folks like Ms. Donette Harper, who is one of our navigators. And so to think about like how sometimes because of our fiscal uh, margins, like when we are thinking about that, are we thinking of where there might be an equity return on investment or a social return on investment, which might not always, every item might not be the cost neutral factor that we have over there, but what might be some other elements of metrics that might make that feasible. Um, and if that is also something that could be considered, I don't, I, and you know, so that we are expanding the metrics um, to tie the mission with the margin as well. But right. there might be some high ticket items over there that are, you know, where we get a lot more, uh, but some that we will, we will always have to, at least in the initial years, uh, not have full. Um, so I always think as you're thinking about the bridge, what is what's going to fall off? You know, like all all um, I, I love to see our IS, which is you know probably staffed as well as I don't know Stanford or Mayo. Like I hope you are because that's good for you. And then we may want to make sure that uh, you know we live in a thing of both, and that the ones who are most proximate to the our patients and community. How are we resourcing? So thank you for what yeah, you're doing. Thank you. I understand what you're saying. Um, and uh, just a couple more things and I'm, I'm finished. Um, I just also want to let the trustees know that uh, Mark Frasky and Dr. Tornabene and Dr. Mack will be intensely looking at ambulatory care. And we're going to come back to you at some other time with other strategic actions in that area. Sounds good. Yeah. We're excited for that. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> and uh, lastly, the community health worker um, project is was definitely identified in the strategic plan. And uh, I believe her name is Lily McCray. She's done a really good job under the ELT owner, Mark Frasky. And she's already done, she's convened a steering committee with three subcommittees and you can see them there and completed an analysis of inventory of CHW and CHW-like roles, which is many, 
which is major because it's more than you think. I just learned about some today. I'm like, I don't even know what they are. But yeah, there's, so there's a lot of good work. And, and the last highlight I'll add, and I want to thank uh, Mr. Jackson for embracing um, and trying to develop a sustainable Beloved Earth program because it operates now on grants here and there. And Preston has done a fantastic job from the foundation seeding that program. And now, and we just had a fantastic meeting with First Five Every Child Counts, which, which handles the zero to five population in Alameda County, funded by a tobacco, sorry, like the language, tobacco surcharge. And they just passed and it got out of court measure C, which will produce 150 million for the county for early health services and early child care. So we just had a great meeting with them. But, um, and we're going to work together. The CEO, Kristen Spanos, uh, and I are going to work together to see how we can combine billing, how we can combine fiscal leveraging, and other, and, and other means potentially to tap in with the alliance to seed that program so that it can continue, but not with all these pockets of grants to mm -hmm. sustain it in our system. And the next slide is just a summary of what, oh, staffing position, I'm sorry. I forgot that going. Um, you can see that the highlights there that the, the leaders are deeply committed to the uh, culture of safety action plans, which um, is, was definitely highlighted in the strategic plan action. Uh, thank you for that position. Um, they're committed to Hetty um, and his brace as a standing topic at, during staff and leadership meetings. And the last three are quite significant. Um, uh, physician turnover rate is the lowest it's been in the past three years. Launched uh, a physician leadership training program. Mm -hmm. And th those are things that are being done by um, Chitra, uh, Dr. Kelly Swarm. So that is like fantastic. And the last part there about staff appreciation and recognition, which is part of the plan. Uh, Roe and uh, has uh, uh, going to implement the Daisy Award, and Lorna from RCHRO is looking at uh, individual department recognition and employee of the quarter and committing that. So, a lot of great work being done there. And so, the next slide is just a summary of what we just discussed. So, if there are any further questions, I'm more than glad to answer them. And also, we're going to dissect the strategic plan to go to board committees so that we can have a deeper dive. Very good. Excellent, Dr. Questions, um, trustees? Thank you for tolerating our questions being thrown at you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just embarrassed for the false, numerous false stories. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. And Mark, Amy, wherever you are, I hope each one of your uh, Staff is essential and needed and phenomenal, and that's why you get the scores that you do from Epic. So, uh, so my please keep advocating for for the staffing that you need. I hope uh, you know you you uh, got it in the spirit in which it was meant. Well, thank you. Uh, I certainly, pardon me, I certainly appreciate that. I actually was a team effort to get all of those scores because operations and clinical absolutely makes that up. And yes, I'm very well supported by uh, James and the rest of the leadership team here. So thank you, though. Thank you. 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 Thank
Thank you. And, um, and next, thank you, um, Ms. Dong. And next, I'd like to invite uh, Ms. Gomez, Arlene Gomez, and Dr. Minnie Swift, who are the co-chairs of the Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee, to give us an, uh, an update um, and share. I think this might be the first time um, that you're sharing at a board meeting. We've done one uh, an education session in a um, retreat. But thank you for coming and telling us what you all have been up to. Good evening. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, present our year in review. Um, as you mentioned, I'm here with Arlene Gomez, Director of Organizational Learning and Effectiveness. Um, she is my co-chair and um, has been such an incredible equity champion. Um, it's been such a pleasure to be co-chairs for this time together. I also want to acknowledge Tangerine Brigham, She's the executive sponsor for uh, the HEDI committee, and as such, um, the executive sponsor for the portfolio of activities under that committee. Um, we're hoping to provide a brief year um, review, year in review for the past year. And let's see if I can advance the slides. Okay, so. Um, when we think about these 2022 objectives that we set last March, there were some key themes that that emerged. And you can see them here, um, championing equity as a practice and an outcome. We often talk about equity as an outcome, you know, we want to close gaps. Um, we want to, you know, we have several metrics, but it's important to think of equity as a practice, as a process as well. Um, you know, what is an example of that? The practice of inclusion, including uh, different stakeholders. We're all accustomed to thinking about that racy setup uh, in our lean thinking, but really taking it a step beyond that, thinking about who needs to be at the table, who needs a voice at the table, um, who are the different stakeholders. Uh, next, you know, obviously integrating equity into key system level initiatives, uh, developing a deeper understanding of racial equity in particular, and increased communication involvement with patient, staff, and community. And that has definitely been a theme here tonight as well. Last year, we um, adopted a framework um, work uh, when we think about activities related to health equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, we use this framework. And these are just some examples. Work is done at the patient level, organizational level, community level, and societal level. So an example of patient level um, activities might be clinical programs, patient councils, looking at quality outcomes. The organizational level includes all of those activities that focus on the staff, policies, practices, workflows, um, non-patient facing programs and departments. And then community level, obviously work that's focused on or located in the community and then society, societal level activities you can see there. Last March, um, the committee adopted um, these 12 objectives. Um, and one of our greatest achievements is we're gonna go through and see the outcome of some of these objectives, but I think one of the biggest achievements of the committee was um, integrating many of these into the strategic plan itself. And so as you go through the strategic plan, you can see many of these either directly listed or components or the spirit of these, like a data stratification, um, a staff training, um, you know, really community co-design, and so, um, so that's one of the biggest achievements of the HEDI committee last year. 
Another goal was improving the transparency of the heady committee. Uh, many staff members and leaders did not realize that we had a heady committee, that we had had one since 2009. Um, you know, people were not aware that we meet. Um, they did not have access to our meeting um, activities and tools. So one of our first projects was partnering with PACE and um, really getting a consultation. But we have an amazing uh, leader here, Sarah McElfresh. So she redesigned our heady um, internet page. And so now you all have access to our mission and vision, the heady, you know, committee charter, the pledge, the framework, those objectives from 2022, and our meeting recordings. Um, and we started listing what we're reading as well. So um, just a few weeks after each uh, meeting, uh, the staff have access to the heady meeting recordings themselves. Um, but we didn't want to stop there. Increasing communication was a major focus for last year. So over the past year, we have made over 30 presentations at standard AHS um, venues, leadership chat, department leaders, department meetings. Um, we also partnered with PACE very early on to create a communication plan and with their help started proactively planning to like to really insert equity specific topics in the newsletter. Um, you know, but we're so fortunate to have such uh, equity-minded PACE uh, team. We no longer have to meet with them to say, like, what are the equity articles in the CEO Chronicles? Because really that spirit of equity is now embedded in most of the content. We also were um, invited to give presentations about what AHS is doing in the realm of equity. Um, we presented six times at a national, state, and local levels to say, what is the equity committee doing? What are the portfolio of activities around activi uh, equity here at AHS? How is our committee structured? And the last thing we did was form new alliances. We developed a deeper relationship with obstetrics, midwifery, and gynecology. You'll see the fruit of some of that um, later on in these slides. And we developed a stronger relationship with, with our GME, Graduate Medical Education uh, DEI committee, and we are now in close partnership with the Medical Staff JEDI Committee. <clears throat> Training and education was another um, big focus for the committee. And with this, I'll turn it over to Ms. Arlene Gomez. Thank you, Dr. Swift. And I want to um, return the compliment. It's a joy and privilege to work with you as co-chair for this committee as well. Um, so we have done a lot. Uh, in, in terms of training education, as we heard from Jeanette, it's part of our strategic plan to embed equity and justice into our, into our program. We have sent to all of our committee members at HETI over 30 articles um, for the purpose of education, continuing um, to individual journeys. Um, we oftentimes have sent them on the during the months we go dark, specifically August and December, for the you know so that we can um, gain further understanding. We also have been fortunate enough to have again Dr. Kevin Smith um, arrange two grand rounds that have been offered to everyone within our organization. Most re more recently, Kiara, Dr. Kiara Bridges, who talked about the racial impacts of the fall of Roe v. Wade and uh, formerly Dr. Uh, excuse me, uh, Robin D'Angelo, who spoke to us about white fragility, which was uh, very well attended and very well received. And then um, 
I'll toggle to Dr. Smith, excuse me, Dr. Swift on these last three topics. Yeah, so, um, you know, the committee is con uh, made up of so many members at this point, there's kind of a Venn diagram between the committee work and the work of the leaders. But at this point, um, we are uh, proud to say that numerous leaders are involved in two major 18-month um, uh, equity learning networks. The first one was started, um, initiated in January of 2022. Um, and that is convened by the Safety Net Institute in partnership with a local um, equity um, consultant, the National Equity Project. We have a team um, that is part of that collaborative. And then recently, you may be aware that we gained entry into the IHI uh, Pursuing Equity uh, Network. That is another 18-month um, collaboration, which we'll be learning more and more about um, equity practices, and we will be expected to share them. Lastly, in 2022, we invited the Department of Public Health, Alameda Department of Public Health, to come in and give us, uh, you know, we had been reading articles on the importance of place on health and life expectancy, and Kimmy Watkins Chart and George Ayala were able to come and uh, present the county health statistics and, uh, you know, talk to us about the concept of targeted universalism uh, back in June. So within our organization, I want to acknowledge um, Lorna Jones's leadership here and also thank uh, Trustee Chapman for covering many of these topics. Uh, we have had, and so through the HETI lens, we've had um, over 280 leaders attend Leadership Academy, and there was a specific skills lab for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Moving forward, just as a footnote, we will be, as we move into phase three of Leadership Academy, rather than carving that topic out, we will be embedding it in everything we do. Um, we've also formed five new affinity groups. Um, it's very exciting. Some are, um, there's Latinx Bean, which is the um, Black Employee and, and Allies Network. They will be presenting at our, uh, at our HETI steering committee this Friday in, in observance of Black History Month. And most recently, I think someone mentioned this earlier, our uh, social groups have formed a, an affinity group as well. Um, we've also convened a governance council for learning or education where anybody within our organization who oversees, delivers, develops training, learning, we are convening for the purpose of finding common denominators. If we, from a heady perspective, want to embed equity through our learning objectives and our curriculum, how can that be reinforced through grand rounds or through um, through other venues, and conversely, what can we do to support other other programs as well? Um, Trustee Chapman also mentioned our mentorship program. Yes, we will be beginning a new uh, cohort this quarter, this this first half of this year. Um, department leader meetings have been a great forum for um, uh, where we've we've been given an opportunity. Thank you, James, and others for. Uh, at 10 minutes or so, 10 to 15 minutes, where we do micro learnings, we, speak, we pick topics like the use of pronouns and, and information that can be shared with all leaders who attend those meetings. Um, and finally, again, implicit bias has been incorporated into leadership development overall. 
uh, I think that we'll continue to do that and, um, and more to come on this. Next slide, please. So as we move from training into operations, um, this is something that James reminds us of often is to, that we want to operationalize what we're doing. It's not just discussion, it's not just theory, it's not just learning, it's how can we operationalize these um, initiatives. We've heard about some of these initiatives tonight. We heard Sambo Lee describe the interpreter services policy. There's um, uh, Trustee Banerjee mentioned the Anti-Racism Committee for Oncology and, and there have been others as well. You can see them listed there. Um, within the organization, we, uh, we, we have developed again the equity assessment tool and our SMART committee has, is vetting that and, and um, beginning to apply it. BOLO was the um, be on the lookout for that security was issuing and we had a discussion within Hetty about the pros and cons of how that is communicated. And finally, I'll toggle back to Dr. Swift for the, um, the Native American Indigenous uh, land, patient's land acknowledgement statement. So one of the objectives in 2022 was to really look for opportunities to improve the care for Native American and Indigenous community members. We started off with uh, the desire to create a land acknowledgement statement for AHS. And in doing so, really um, learned that organizations should go beyond just a statement. The statement is made real by um, really entering into partnership uh, with the community. So we have a working group, um, it's multidisciplinary. We have a draft land acknowledgement statement, but we're really, really holding on to that first and thinking about how to engage the community. And in 2023, we'll be um, working, going more in depth with that. As I mentioned, um, these are the, you know, the major accomplishments of the committee in 2022 with a deep dive um, into the HR division because um, our co-chairs, you know, involved and our HR division has really, I think in the organization, taken the lead with embedding many of the principles of Hedy. So it becomes a little bit overlapping at that point. As we thought about the accomplishments of the committee, um, we just wanted to hold a placeholder for the accomplishments of, you know, just like the HR division, many of these activities are led by individual leaders in the committee. Um, you know, we've talked about Beloved Black Centering and their top honor this past December at the California Association of Public Hospitals, um, you know, annual meeting. Dr. Damon Francis had a publication in the New England Journal Catalyst section. He is a um, national expert on, on the um, social determinants of health. Ana Torres and our quality department, you know, you've seen here and we heard from Dr. Bouquet that True North stratification. Um, we know our QIP teams are looking at the metrics by a demographic data, uh, by demographic stratification and looking at whole populations, um, not just a particular metric. Um, and then Dr. Kevin Smith piloted a provider scorecard stratified by race. And of course our medical staff launched their JEDI committee this past year. And we know that there are numerous other activities going on within the organization. This is not intended to be the sum total but simply just a spotlight on some of the things that the committee was aware of, but um, certainly not intended to be an exhaustive list. We always like to highlight each month in our Hetty Steering Committee, all that's, on, that's going on, anything to observe, and we partner closely with our PACE team to compile this list. 
It is always current. And we sometimes do uh, talk a little bit in depth about one or more of the topics in the Head Eastern Committee. So acknowledgement and thanks to our PACE team for, for helping us uh, put this calendar together. Next slide, please. And finally, equity training reminders. There are several here. Some of you, most of you may have received the 21 equity, 21 day equity challenge. Um, hopefully everyone's participating. We just as a preview, we're planning to do a, have an actual agenda topic on that, on that in our March meeting. Um, and, and the others are there as well. The um, National Health Equity Grand Rounds that we've talked about, um, the REI, two-day virtual training is very much in-depth and um, very valuable. Many people have gone through it, um, especially through ambulatory. Holly Garcia uh, of ambulatory is a primary contact for scheduling those sessions. And finally, um, the Health Equity Accelerator through Boston Medical Center. And Dr. Soup, did you want to say more about that one? Um, yeah, that is a, a quarterly, another um like SNI is hosting this health Ex equity accelerator series where they're bringing in different health centers to share their approach to equity. Um, I think Zuckerberg San Francisco general was featured last week. This next one is going to happen um, on the 28th. And um, just jumping up to the national health equity grand rounds that is sponsored by the AMA and they will also be having quarterly um, uh, offerings with CME credit. Well, that concludes our presentation. If, we, if you have any questions, we're happy to answer them. Otherwise, thank you very much. Thank you so much, um, Ms. Gomez and Dr. Swift. Um, lots that's happening and for our folks, especially our trustees to know that the Heady Committee roster is pretty much all our ELT leaders, a lot, some of chairs, chiefs, and then uh, leaders across different positional authorities, right? They, they straddle uh, across facilities, uh, across functions, and the idea is that this group, um, what they learn over there, they are going then and spreading in their different spheres of influence, correct? That's the expectation. Yeah. I know that in the in the version 2.0, there used to be like a subgroup that was like one was workforce, one was like clinical and research, like what our clinical service lines and programs was, and thinking about equity, and one was community centered, uh, like what are we doing external facing, like how are we uh, focusing with the county health, public health department, with all alliance with others to do more population based. We do. Uh, do you anticipate like uh, things like that happening in the in this year as you're kind of grappling around how to, um, or do you see that with our um, strategic plan, uh, czar over here who's oh. going to be <laughs> looking at some of that? Um, I can share my thoughts, and then Arlene, I I'd love to hear yours as well. You know, as I think about HETI 2.0, and for those of you who are um, not aware of our nomenclature, we've had some form of an equity council or HETI uh, committee at AHS since two, 2009. And so we tend to think about them as 1.0, 2.0, and now we're in 3.0. Um, 2.0 was about um, two, it, it started right on the eve of the pandemic in 2019. 
Um, and that was uh, the outcome or the products of the Hetty Committee at that time. Um, there were uh, this, this framework that we've shown you, patient, primarily the, the patient, the, the organizational and the community level were actually divided across five working groups and three were focused on the organizational level or staff and workforce level. Um, the products of that were uh, an inventory of what was the current state in 2020, 2020 and 2021 and um, sort of priorities for the coming year, much of which were the following year, much of which were focused on workforce, which um, you know, Lorna Jones and her team have accomplished when you look back at those deliverables. I think as we move forward, um, we probably will have working groups of the HETI committee and we probably will, uh, I think that we should probably see a contraction of our committee over the years because the committee, you know, performance improvement or equity and finance, like these topics and uh, inter activities should be then moved and embedded into operations. So we may not have work groups that are focused on these levels, but we may have other work groups like our land acknowledgement work group or equity analytics work group. Um, I don't know, that's what I think. Arlene? Thank you. I would just add, you know, the patient facing piece. I believe it was uh, the conversation Dr. Swift and I had with Jeanette about the patient advocacy and patient representation. And so we may, it, I worked with a leader at one time who always included an empty chair in every meeting and said this empty chair represents a patient. And so, you know, to put that kind of um, presence in, in the context of, of HETI would be powerful and um, but anything, and, and there are patient advisory boards in place. How can we leverage that information to inform how we're moving forward? Um, and then in the context of workforce, it really, we want to continue the momentum that we've begun and really make a difference at all levels. Thank you. Questions? Okay. Um, Thank you so much again. Um, this was really, really good. And I know that one of the things that we heard at the HR committee was that some of the mandatory trainings like the workforce violence and others, we have about 25% of uh, providers who haven't yet had some of those, they are past due. So when we think about all of these racial equity trainings and things like the signal that we sent from the board, from the chairs, from the leadership really then allows people to make that time for that because otherwise with all of the trainings on there, these will be some of the things that fall off the radar. We know HR 100%, but then what is actually gonna happen? So uh, a very good uh, health equity guide by uh, co-authored by Dr. Damon Francis is also called Light and Heat. And light is where you he's shining a light about like speak to patients, do this. But the heat part is where we have accountabilities built in. And I think we think about accountabilities, not in terms of punitiveness or, you know, shaming anybody, but like as opportunities for growth and transformation, like how we frame those as, as those. So I hope that with all of the offerings that there is a lot of participation in, in those, some of these are prepaid. 
so we have paid put a lot of money into them so and also i would invite our board members because one of the things with joint commissioners like it's not just our staff our board needs to be training in these things as well so we'll be sharing this with us but thank you again one of the, the question i had was about the 21 day challenge i don't remember seeing an email inviting trustees to the challenge i'd love to see what that's all about yeah um, so we um i apologize for that um we we sent it out to our to our staff um but and the good news is while it is too late to register for it um we can share with you the 21 day offering so what they do is um they have a two-prong approach um, on the Monday of each week, you know, it's three weeks, it's 21 days, Monday through Friday. They sent out the week's worth of, um, you know, multiple small feedings of the mind. So these small, the, they send out the curriculum for the week and then all of the little videos that are, some are like a minute and 28 seconds, some are five minutes and readings. And so what we've been doing is we have been sending those out um, through the HETI committee, it was also sent to the entire medical staff. Um, and we can definitely send that to our board too, so that um, we can provide more access for those who are interested, even though you're not sign up, signing up and getting the daily reminder. Thank you. Or thank you again, um, Dr. Swift and um, Ms. Gomez. Okay, moving on. Um, so that ended our items of F. Uh, G, board calendar and tracking, we have to work on that. We don't have anything right now. Um, but for items H, we have staff reports which are written. Any questions for that? I see none. So I think that kind of closes our open session and we can now move into closed session. Uh, General Counsel, would you announce? Thank those? you, Chair Banerjee. Uh, the board will go now into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Thank you. And we should be here about 45 minutes. 45.